Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coca Talk, episode 265. Special guest today, Paul Shoemaker. Coca Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Because Coca Talk is rocking the 8 bit world. hello everybody and welcome to the show and we hope you have a great day sitting here with us even listening to david's voice we hope that yes So I guess uh, we'll we'll start off a, a little bit of um, project updates and acquisitions, and we'll do a quick little Ron's Garage update, and then we'll hit the game on stuff. So project updates and acquisitions. Rick, Rick Euland, I believe you had an, an update. Oh, I suppose so. Let me uh, change my face here. So um, FedEx did their usual great job, and I got this. <laughs> Hang on. Can you spotlight where, him, Mark? Yeah. Where, where is he? Oh, there he is. Just, yeah, just spotlight me. I we we didn't do introductions. Oh, yeah, I guess we could have done that. Eh? Ah, well, oh, we'll yeah. sneak it in after the updates. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm one of the guys. Yeah, and uh, here's FedEx did for me. Um, luckily, everything inside is cool, so I have more of everything. It's, uh, cool. That's not bad, so life continues, because I had run out of pretty much all parts. That's a good sign, right? Like you, you sold a lot of stuff at the fest, so exactly so. So now on to invent the next thing because you know not enough stress yet, still working. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's that's about it for this week. Um, and Rick, those are those look like keyboards. Yeah, we have that's both keyboard sets and Coco IOs. So I was able I- to come up. I have one question on the keyboard. I think you there were some people were asking about a Coco One replacement keyboard. Does anything happen yeah, with that? I would have to have one. I've got the same problem with the uh, multi keys. I don't have a complete multi key keyboard. I've got like four fifths of one, but there's some kind of rubber ball cushion sheet that I don't have, so I can't really tell if I've got it right yet or not. So, you know, that, that's kind of the the limits right now. Is I need to see what I'm reproducing to reproduce it. I have a couple Cocoa ones. I could probably ship you something. 
And I'm thinking the Coco One keyboards didn't use screws. They were uh, had melted uh, studs to hold it together. Yeah, the Melty has that same problem. I've kind of got a fix for that if I just knew what all I needed to have inside. Now, now the Coco One keyboards, I know the earliest ones had that that header connector on it, and then the later ones had the ribbon cable. But were they built differently too? Do you know or? Yeah, I don't. I don't have an original one. Yeah, I I've just got, have an F board one here. So yeah, I've got an F board upstairs, but I'm kind of. It's not a very good sample set. <laughs> I've seen this one. I have a D board, and I my 4K Coco, and I think the other one's an E board. So you would have the ones with the, the header connector, then. Uh yeah, I'm. Tell, I know one of them does. Haven't opened it recently, but yeah. So yeah, the D board might be interesting, and then I've got an F board, so then I'll at least know if they're the same or, or if they change something in here besides the connector. Do you need the whole Coco, or you just uh, need the no? Keyboard? Just I think just the board, just the keyboard part. Does okay. it need to work? Um, no, mine mine works, but yeah. yeah. No, it just needs to physically be, so I know what I'm trying to. Okay, yeah, sizing and spacing and stuff is what you're trying to figure out. I, I yeah, probably have a couple of melty key, yeah. keyboards. I'll check for you, Rick, and if I have them, I'll send them to you. Oh, cool. I would, I would definitely like to see one just so I know what kind of spacer, you know. Sure. What the, what the target is here. Hey. Yeah. Now, there were, there were two melties. There's the one with the rubber with the rubber stompers in it, like what you were talking about, Rick. And then there's another one that doesn't have the rubber stompers in. And I think the difference is, if I'm, if I'm right about this, the ones with the rubber stompers are the ones that have the rivets you know, the melted rivets that are kind of a pain. That would There's fit. another one that has screws that doesn't use, that's more like the, the full height, full height, like um, keyboard ones. So I'll, if I have one of each, I'll send them, but I literally have a half a dozen in the garage. I'll see what I've got. What's interesting. The, the one that I have, the, the melted, the melted rivets thing has an amp part number. So Tandy didn't make that one. Mm. I wonder if, when they switched the one made with screws, because Tandy built all theirs, as far as I can tell, with screws. So <laughs> I wonder if they started making their own keyboards somewhere in the melty keyboard part. That would be interesting to know. Makes sense. Okay. Anybody else have any updates or acquisitions, or or we can go straight into introducing the panel that I completely forgot to do at the beginning. Well, <clears throat> I have a little bit of something. Okay. Well, we'll do the introductions first, then we'll actually do your proper intro, okay. Ron, before right. we do your, your bits here. Right. So if and nobody else has any other updates and acquisitions, we'll get on to the introductions. So I guess we'll stop in the, start in the upper uh, left corner, at least what I'm seeing on my screen. I have no idea that's what you guys are seeing on the live stream, but uh, Rick Ulan, who was just speaking about the keyboards. So welcome, Rick. Next to him is Mark Overholzer, fresh off of his holiday, I believe. Yep, holiday all over the Pacific Northwest. Cool. Next up is uh, Ron Delvaux, and we'll be doing a segment that uh, I think is the main reason we invited him to join the show, actually, way back well, when. thank you. And there's uh, me, the loser, up in the corner. We'll skip him. Um, I'll skip a special guest because we'll actually cover him when we get to talking about why he's here. Next up, we have uh, Ken Waters, alias Canadian Retro Things. Fresh off of a second long journey on the road. Yeah, and now I'm on vacation. <laughs> Looking yeah. more Canadian than usual. 
in the log yeah, cabin. Yeah, you're gonna have to switch from the Hawaiian shirts to the the lumberjack ones, I think. At this point, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe it's a log okay. cabin in Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. Until hmm. the snow piles up outside. <laughs> uh, next after that, we got uh, Mark, our host Hi. streamer. You still feeling a bit under weather with allergies and stuff, Mark? Or? Yeah, a bit better than last week, but uh, still, still there. Hey, so hopefully it gets I better. May, I may mute for a minute. Uh, that's okay. Next up is Grant, who we always like to hear muted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, he's, thanks, Curtis. He's our main head guy that uh, did Coco Fest. Was the organizer for you? You were supposed to have some help, but Jim unfortunately couldn't make it. So, yep, yep you were running solo. So, are you recovered from that experience yet? And are you going to do it again? Yep, I'll be doing it again. And uh, yes, I finally have recovered. So, and by the way, it is true. I, I was asleep during a tornado that went four blocks away from my house this week. So that was me. Really? Okay, let's hear this no. story. I haven't heard this yet. So explain. What kind of storm chaser are you, man? Yeah, I know, right? You let no. the storms chase you. What the hell? No, I, I went to bed because I usually get up around six o'clock in the morning to uh, go to work. And uh, yeah, that night the tornado came by, came through about 1.30 in the morning and uh, was only four blocks away. So I go out to take the dog outside and looked over my neighbor's yard and the big trees down. I'm like, what in the world's happened there? And then I turned the news on and come to find out literally a tornado was only four blocks away from my house and went through uh, <laughs> the city. How did so. you miss the sirens? I just want to know. Well, you, as, from what it looks you like, thought the, it was a the, train, huh? The uh, sirens didn't go off because literally the tornado dropped down right in Lenexa. So it was only about 10 blocks away from it dropped down. So by the time they hit the sirens, it's already passed us. So they didn't sound them here. So. <laughs> how, how big was the tornado if you don't mind me asking it was just a it's just a small one ef1 so just a lot of tree damage is what it did but substantial okay never a dull moment with you yeah i know right <laughs> <laughs> next up and you'll be a featured uh, guy in uh, one of our news segments here is mr david ladd lord of the floppy i think david had to step away david? for a minute so yeah. oh, okay i can see he's muted now so and next up, the Thunder from Down Under, the guy with, who literally has a nickname, as we <laughs> right. discussed earlier. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> How, how's development on your new game, Jumping Joey, going? Uh, coming along. I haven't done too much the last few days, having a bit of a break, but yeah, it's coming along. Do you get tornadoes down there? Uh, we don't call them tornadoes. But, um, we get cyclones and um, hurricanes. Was a cyclone a uh, hurricane or a tornado? I'm trying to yeah, remember. Yeah, uh, cyclones are hurricane. Cyclone. You're right. But uh, yeah. tornadoes, uh, very rarely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up after that is uh, Mr. James Diffendaffer. How are you doing, James? You haven't been on in a while. Hello, neighbors. Oh, yeah. I've been kind of slacking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know sometimes you have like internet connection problems too, so I didn't know if that was part of it. Um, eh, more more or less, I I was uh, just avoiding you guys, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so you have legitimate reasons not to be on. That's good. It's our truthful hour. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, James. <laughs> really, you all suck. <laughs> no, I I I was just avoiding the usual. It's gonna be Cocoa Fest. Oh, it's Cocoa Fest. Oh, it was Cocoa Fest. That takes up like four weeks. So, you know. Well, you see, you'd solve that if you just come down. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. 
someday I think I'm going to drive and I'm going to pick up James and drag him along over to. That sounds like a great idea, Mark. I'm going to hold you to that. Remember, folks, yeah. only 11 months to go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, plan now. Okay, I think we've covered everybody on. Uh, we're hoping that Simon Jonas will be able to pop in in a little bit here when we get to Paul Shoemaker, our guest segment, uh, a little bit later on here. So crossing my fingers that he'll be able to come in for that. Um, he's the mystery guy we skipped over earlier, but we'll get into him when we get into the, the game on challenge stuff. Um, so, Mark, if you can play the little intro for Ron, we'll get an update yeah. from Ron. Turn up your sound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> okay, share the screen. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I was all ready to. Okay. Hmm. Let's see if it's up. Is I it see up? a Model 100 of some sort. Actually, yeah. that's not a Model 100. This is that's the dev else. term. What do you think of this, guys? Uh, I only got it on here because uh, it could be Cocoa related in that it's um, Linux based and it could run maybe Cocoa Pie on it. Oh, so that's like a modern machine made to look like. I did. Yeah. They, Taylor and Amy didn't they cover that on their show? They, they might have. Yeah. It, uh, what's your name and Amy or whatever? Yeah, they covered. Yeah, Taylor and Amy. Yeah. Taylor yeah. and Amy. It has a uh, little what's printer on it that does uh, thermal printing. Yeah, thermal printing. Yep. And look at the size of a pencil. <laughs> it's small. I could see yeah. one thing that bugs me about it already. Now that I'm seeing it up and close, and that's a space bar. I don't know if I can handle a space bar that small. Yeah. The whole anyway, yeah, it, it's a little, it's an MC 10 ish sized keyboard. So yeah. I, I think I'd pass. Yeah. The model 100 and, still has one of the greatest keyboards ever made. Yeah. Honestly, here it is here. And it's, you know, yeah. it's, well, they actually have it in the picture here, which I didn't even realize until after I posted it. Uh, this is mine. The thing is a model 100. Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> so then, um, I took a high color picture of a Dodge Challenger, which I thought came out really nice. Here's the original picture. And then um, I was online yesterday. Um, enjoyed uh, going online and playing with my color computer. Now, in order to go online, I have to have that uh, uh, multi-pack hooked up with the um, RS-232 that goes out to a laptop I have with uh, WinXP on it because the program I have that does the translation for the um, NC. COM ports has to be on that machine because it doesn't work on 11 or 10. So, now is, that, are, is that running NetMate, Roger Taylor's NetMate, or is yes, that... Uh, is, as a matter of fact, Twilight yeah. Journal, okay. Just you can see it here. NetMate. Ah, there. Yeah. Works great. Love it. Contact him if you want a copy of it. It works great. And I saw so, a bunch of stuff on, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Facebook's uh, page for products that you can buy. And, marketplace? Uh, yeah, Marketplace. And this is uh, TRP100. It's for sale for $120. Then there's a, uh, is it $300? Um, 
The PC2 is the one I almost got back in the day. Yeah. That was one I was lusting after. Now, if you buy this one, you could go ahead and get this. This has everything with it. The, yeah, cassette, um, printer, the whole yeah. thing. But I don't know if it would work with it because this is a PC what? Uh, it's not the PC2. Yeah, I don't. I think the PC2 is required for that particular one. The connector was different or something. I can't yeah. remember. Now you see it has trouble here. So yeah, the LCD is a bit work. leaky there. Yeah. Uh, Grant, Grant must have been at it. That's all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an old uh, CCR81. Uh, 30 bucks. That's reasonable. And then there's a Coco 2 for $475. Wait, that's a steal. Yeah. And I mean that literally. Really? Stealing your money, maybe. Joysticks, $55. Wow. New in box with a little water damage on the box. Now, is this just to cover the gas prices for shipping costs? Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I just wonder, really. Then I ran across this in a um, rainbow, a real-time clock. Uh, you know, yep, I remember cartridge. this one. Yeah, and um, I thought to myself, why can't we uh, reproduce that? Everybody complains, no real-time clock. You need to have one if you did that. And then someone, Ian Maverick, said, I would make one. And I thought that was cool. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I, I contacted uh, Mr. Weasler to see if maybe he has one because he has, uh, I think God has more, but he one has of quite a bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How is he doing, actually? Because we haven't heard from him in a while, so I, I, I didn't want to press him. He moved. He says he doesn't have inventory. He doesn't have all of his stuff. He just moved it, and it's not able to be gone through yet. Oh, okay. So it'll be it'll probably be, a, be uh, two to three years. <laughs> he has oh as much stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's like waiting for David Ladd to finish cleaning his room there. So really, yeah. So hey, I, hey, hey, hey. I also did Top Gun. If you guys uh, would like, uh, you can go to my um, page here and download it. This particular one was uh, done by um, who is it? I can't. My mind is blank. Uh, oh, Ron, I want to mention uh, Paul, Paul Fiscarelli. Okay. He did, the, yeah. he did this picture with a different um, alg algorithm to make the picture. And then he put the music for Top Gun on it. So when you play the, when you show the picture, the sound, the song plays. Wait, which one? The the main Top Gun? Yeah. The, the instrumental theme or? Yeah, the instrumental theme. Yeah. Best I can do. Sorry, guys. Don't my way to the danger zone. Yeah, it was a great uh, Steve Stevens solo on that one. Sorry, guitar That's about it, stuff. guys. That's what's happening at Ron's Garage. I wanted to mention. Uh, we got a, a mention from Taylor and Amy showing the chat here, saying yes, they did do a dev term build. So they actually, uh, I did remember that right. That they actually did show them setting one up. I just wonder if uh, anyone's tried to put uh, cocoa pie on it. Uh, now, really, the screen is so small, and the Cocoa Pie screen is going to be uh, a third of the screen, right? <laughs> and you're going to have to probably have your nose real close to the keyboard. <laughs> but you could do it on a in flight or something if you wanted to, and on airplane. You know? I think you yeah. just have to make a special dev build of it that includes really thick bifocals, and that'll solve it. There the you go. <laughs> Coke bottle glasses. Mark said, you, look, you look like bubbles from the trailer park boys is what you'll end up looking like. 
So thanks. Well, thanks, Rodney. Actually, that's going to have to try that because I haven't actually heard the Coco play that that particular song. So that's a that's a new one on me. So I'm yeah, it's it's just it's I think it's a MIDI thing or something. I don't know. And um, actually, I tried it on uh, VCC and it was a little s- slow. I think it was no VCC played it good. Um, and the real real piece, the real um, Coco Three did well, but there was one something i tried that played it slow and it was choppy i can't remember which yeah maybe x-roar or maybe Mame or something i know x-roar on my mac has got and i think all hit this too where it's got some issues with sound okay maybe it was that yeah it can be a little skippy and poppy choppy sometimes and, with yeah. the, especially when with you the change windows version. then it really gets bad yeah yeah all right Okay. Well, thank you, Ron. Sure. And I think uh, with that, with no further ado, uh, Ken, if you want to take it away and Mark, I, I guess we'll play the little uh, results video first, but we'll get on to the Game On Challenge. All right, getting here. Um, I always do this when he's eating, just on purpose. But you know, yeah. I thought he was sleeping. <laughs> That'll come later. All right, here we go. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Trapfall. We had a total of 15 players. We had Damon Beals, who played but didn't submit a score. Mr. Dave 6309 with 1962. AJ 1966. David Ladd. 1970. Eight bits in the basement. Hey, am I 5490. on? 5490. Tasman. Really, Stevie? 5734. Timbo Tech. Rich N. 5808. Grant B. 5856. Paul Shoemaker. 5918. Canadian Retro Things. 8708. Jim Rye. 9608. Sloopy Malibu, 9678. L. Curtis Boyle, 27,314. And the number one score this week was Buck Owens with 49,802. Thanks everybody that played this week, and we will see you next week. Coco Talk salutes Buck. Owens! Curtis, when okay. are you gonna play when are you gonna play a game for real and not cheat it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't get first most of the time anymore, so I'm not cheating. Plus, I mean both my, my game and Buck recorded uh, live streams of them too, so you can actually check it out for real. Don't you start that game with two thousand points? You do. Yep. Okay. <laughs> And every time you run over a barrel, you lose points. So, yeah. So some people didn't find any treasures and lost a few points. I saw that. But just a reminder to, um, I think there were some other people in the chat that did play the game, but didn't post scores. It's about having fun. It doesn't matter what your score is. Just post something.
So, yeah. And as you could see, uh, Curtis and Buck really uh, kicked everybody else's butts. So, they it, this never well, was an easy game, but yeah, I no. played it a fair bit when I was young. So, it's not, um, it's only about having fun until you win, and then it's about bragging rights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah. there's a bit of truth to that, but anyway. If you lose every week, like most of us, it's about having fun. <laughs> then you got the braggers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, I found one review for this game, and it was in uh, November of 83's Hot Cocoa. And uh, he thought the graphics were good, but not the best. Uh, the sound was average, and it was the type of game that, after half an hour of playing, got extremely monotonous and boring. Which I think a lot of people actually found playing this game because it one of those pixel perfect jumping games that gets really frustrating after a while. It took me ten minutes to get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> like the game, if you, once you get used to the timings and things like that. Then the game gets a bit more exciting because then you're just, you know, you're making stupid mistakes and you can get further. Like I remember back in the day, there was a few of us in our local club here that actually could probably get like halfway through the whole thing. And uh, Buck Owens had found um, a high score list of this. Uh, I wasn't able to find which issue this came from, but uh, as you can see, there was one for 114,322 and Buck was pointing out that on the Atari version, 114,000 is the highest possible score. So there must be something in the Coco version that you can get a few extra points. Yeah, I've, I've never won the game outright. I got every treasure, so I have no idea what the score range should be. I got to say, I I'm a little too. surprised at how negative that review was because I thought Trapfall was like an exact copy of Pitfall and Pitfall sold like a gazillion copies. Yeah. Um, I think is, the issue there is rainbow had a lot of reviewers where the people reviewing games weren't really game players. Like that there's was quite a few Coco. times that they Clearly thought that was an never original played. concept. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually though, also in the review that something that the person com, um, complained about was that the, for the price that you paid for the game, which was a full price, like top of the line price game, you just got the single sheet of paper in it for the instructions, where as most other games at that price level had a nice instruction book in them. So, okay. He thought that was a bit of a ripoff too. Yeah. Hmm. And as 60 mentioned in the chat, this was uh, resold by Microdeal for the dragon yeah. as Cuthbert in the jungle. Ah, so for tips and tricks on this game, um, I heard a lot of talk about like, I not a big uh, pitfall player on any platform, but I heard a lot of people talking about the running to the left at the beginning is supposed to be easier than running to the right. Uh, does anybody have? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say easier. The only thing that I found that was easier about it was that when you died, you uh, reformed on the other end of the screen. So you can, yeah, you can get going. past the screen if you're getting stuck. That's true. Yeah. That's true. You can take but. shortcuts through the underground part. Um, where you can skip screens. I think it's three screens at a time or something if you want to not go through everything. Problem yeah. is the, the the pixel perfect jumping is literally pixel perfect jumping the scorpion. So I usually die there all the time. So I just go on the top because it's easier to jump over a snake or a fire or whatever. So. Mm -hmm. um, and plus you really got to know the levels. So you don't want to miss a treasure by um, skipping over it. 
Well, sometimes it's still easier to skip, go, and then go left, like you were saying, go get the treasure you would have missed and then come back. But you got to know the treasure's there. So you yeah, you got to pretty game. well memorize the order. It never changes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fixed map you're going through, just like the original Pitfall. Yeah. And, uh, and are the screens like in order? So if I have no idea how many different screens there are. Maybe say there's 100. Are they in 255. order? 55. 255 screens, that makes yeah, sense. It, it, it has an algorithm that just goes 0 to 255. Ah, so they, they are in order. So it's if you the get all the way screens. to the end, it loops back around again, or I, I guess it, it does I, if uh, you go through it and you miss some treasures. But I think the game ends if you get all the treasures. Though I, like I said, I've never done it, so I'm not sure. Hmm. <laughs> Living the cabin life, I see bugs flying by. Yep, mosquitoes. <laughs> There's lots of them here right now. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, some tips and tricks. I, I, I don't know. Well, we're covering it in the game on news here. Uh, AJ and, and, and Tim Linder actually did a video on it. That's where their scores got submitted. So, uh, it was, it was fun. I made a snarky comment about one, you know, my favorite parts was <laughs> one of AJ's things. Like I wasn't paying attention. You're playing Tim. I was too busy drinking. And then, uh, just Tim's facial expressions. Every time he died a stupid death, which was literally about every 10 to 15 seconds was hilarious. But, uh, there's a few little tricks. Uh, like when you're jumping the alligators, a lot of people they're just you know doing it for the first time. They'll try to you know jump when the mouth's closed, step forward to get on the head, wait, jump, and do that. The thing is, if you land on the head of the alligator, you don't have to wait for anything. You just hold down the jump button and then just move the joystick to the right. You just leap completely across every time. You'll you'll get through every time, so you don't have to time anything except that first jump. Um, I tried that a few times. I always ended up on the last one in the drink. If you're too far to the right, you you do move about a pixel more each time. So if you're too far right on the head, then that will happen. But if you on the center or the left side of the head, you'll you'll get right through. Okay. Um, Tim and AJ found the bug on the original version of Trapple. I think they fixed it in 1.1, but it's a bug I mentioned, I think, last week, too, that I remembered. Where if you're jumping off the vine and then you immediately hold down the joystick button to do a jump, you'll actually sink about four or five pixels on the screen. And then you can never jump over anything ever again until you die. And also in the um, version 1... Buck also found that uh, one of the shortcuts had a dead end in it that wasn't supposed to be there. So, okay. So one of the underground shortcuts. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what other, uh, another one I, I do is a bit of a tip when you're going across the expanding water pits. Mm -hmm. um, I usually, unless I've got a vine that's going to get in my way or something like that, I will actually sit there and hold the jump button. Cause then on the last part, if the pit comes a little bit too quick, if you're just running, it'll kill you. But if you jump, you'll be up in the air when it comes up to that point, and you'll get over it, so you get a better chance of getting past it. So that's another little, little tip. There's also cheat pokes in Rainbow. I should mention that. Um, oh. If you want a bunch of extra men. Aha, now the truth comes out. I didn't do that. <laughs> we watched them live on the air. He really did play the game properly. Yeah, so, so did Buck that, on his score. He doubled me. So Other than that weird white border, we we're kind of Yeah, that was a VCC weirdness. Maybe Curtis was photoshopping live as he played. <laughs> I didn't do it as bad as Sloopy did. <laughs> oh yeah, I got to mention that uh, Sloopy actually had uh, um, photoshopped an 8 million point game in the uh, results there. I didn't include it in the uh, final tally. Though. But now that we know that the maximum score is only 114,000, we can definitely call foul. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of the most interesting reviews that I saw on this uh, 
in the game on challenge. Just let me find it here. Was eight bits in the basement. Um, he said he wrote them. I read a review of Pitfall and it said that this game was refreshing in the in that it was nonviolent, no shooting or kicking or punching, just exploring and finding hidden treasure. All I have to say is that my Coco almost went through the window more than once while I was working on my high score. This game is so damn frustrating. <laughs> I think that sums up this game pretty well. It's uh, yeah, the I, most violent, nonviolent game there is. Yeah, it's it's a hard one. And this is back from the or the early to mid 80s when everybody was writing games with a, a arcade mentality, which basically kill the player as quick as possible so you make more money, which of course you don't need to worry about on a home console, but everybody copied those. So mm -hmm. it's pixel perfect jumps, lots of ways to die, lots of ways to die stupidly. Um, yeah, that's just that's the era. There's a lot of games like that. Yeah. They're <laughs> yeah, the pixel perfect jumping of the 80s. See, I think that's one of the reasons Cuthbert of the Jungle was actually popular because in the UK, the games like Manic Miner and Jets Willy were even worse than the ones we're used to up here in North America. So that was like right up their alley type thing. I'm sure the best scores probably came from there. And as you can see here now, uh, during the game on Thursday night play, we had up to four players at once uh, played this game. A few of us got pretty bored of it pretty quickly and switched over to some other games. But otherwise, the stream was a lot of fun to be there, especially listening to um, some Canadian there doing a lot of cursing and uh, swearing. Not sure which one that was. I think it was me. Could, could have been either. <laughs> <laughs> And if you want more like that, you can you can watch the uh, sibling rivalry episode, which we'll be covering in the game on news because there was a lot of that there too. But we went on for almost two and a half hours. So, although, like I said, a few of us uh, just went on and played different uh, Coco games, which is perfectly acceptable during the live game on challenge. You know, yeah, including uh, a special one, which is why our guest is here today. Exactly. I was just uh, leading into one of the games that we played was next week's Game On Challenge. I will show a screenshot of the game. Unless you've tried this in the last few days, you're probably not going to recognize this one. But it is... Ghost Rush by Paul Shoemaker, who is our guest here right now. And uh, Curtis, did you want to take away talking to Paul about this game? No, I was going to let you be do playing? it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't matter. <laughs> I can talk about it. Yeah, there okay, we go. How about that, Paul talks about it? Solves the issue right there. <laughs> so, Paul, I, I guess the first thing is this is actually a Coco Port of a fairly popular game on both mobile phones and online in browsers. Um, do you yes. know any of the history of the original game? Like I, I was trying to find out the original author's name. I couldn't even find that. No clue. And, and I don't know how popular it is either. It just is a game that I happened to play, have played about two weeks ago. I thought I, it was actually for work. We had a kind of a virtual fair thing. At I work want your job. A, if you get to play games at work. Well, this was unusual. And there was a little virtual arcade and in the virtual arcade was a bunch of, you know, non-arcadey games. Like they didn't have Pac-Man and Galaga and all that good stuff. They had all of these 
little weird games that I'd never seen before. And so the only one that was arcadey was called Pack Rush. And so I played it and and with the folks that I work with, we all sort of, you know, tried to get beat each other's high score. And I we played it for a little while and it was fun. And I thought, well, you know, that's that's cool. And and in the Pack Rush game, you control a Pac-Man who goes around in a circular path and every, you know, and attempts to eat a, a a randomly placed dot from time to time while avoiding these spike traps or spike strips that fall from the top. And since it's kind of designed for a phone screen, it's it's a, a tall and skinny play, you know, play area. And so as far as I know, and as, as far as I ever got on the game at least, it only ever drops spikes from the top. So I, I saw that game and I thought, well, the gameplay is pretty fundamental. I thought I can write that. That would be a, a, a good, a, a fun project to go do. So then I, I thought, well, I'm going to change it a little bit. And I switched up the, um, the avatar from Pac-Man to the Ghost um, to make it different. But also, and I, I actually started it with a Pac-Man, but I found it's really hard to make a Pac-Man that is eating in a diagonal way that looks good. On, in the lower res, on the lower resolution, it just it, it it didn't look like anything. So I, I switched over to a ghost because the ghost has the benefit of 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 always being the same shape. Yes, I could have had the eyes of the ghost, you know, move around and follow the different points, and I I didn't do that. Um, in switching to the ghost as the hero of of my version of the game, then naturally Pac-Man had to become an enemy, and so you know, indeed, as you play the game, if you get the further you get into the game, in addition to the spike strip that falls from the top, after a while, a Pac-Man will emerge from the side. There's actually a total of three different enemies. And the gameplay on, on, on mine is exactly the same as it was in, in, in the original Pac-Rush game. Pac, your, your ghost moves in a circular path, either clockwise or counterclockwise. The only um, control that you have is the joystick button. You click the joystick button anytime you want him to your, your ghost to move the other way. Um, yeah, you can never stop moving. You're continuous it, motion. So. Always in continuous motion. He's either. Also, I want to put in uh, Buck Owens actually just did a comment because he was, he, he played it a bit on, on the last couple of days too. And he said, I thought those were IC dip chips, not to. <laughs> Somebody said teeth. And I looked at him. I was like, yeah, they do sort of look like, you know, like teeth that are falling as well, but they're, they're intended to be, you know, spike strips. So for the record, it's like a piece of earth with spikes on it that are falling down. Um, so the game is written in assembly language. Um, it actually came together really quickly. I literally started writing it two weeks ago. Um, and I incorporated a random number generator subroutine that Steve Bjork had, had kindly shared in the past. And uh, um, a four-voice music subroutine that Rick Adams had shared in the past. But all the rest of the code's mine. It, um, it uses the... Uh, 128 by 96 p mode one screen and and maybe as i uh, maybe i can share this the game itself as i'm talking about it here would that work or would you prefer yeah uh, mark if you want to let him share if you're not already he should be already he should be ready to share okay all right let's see if this works did it work yeah okay you got the weird white border on uh, VCC that I had too. Yeah, it's because I'm photoshopping as I go, just like you were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so let's see. 
It's 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 using uh, 128 by 96p mode one. Um, I like this mode that that particular mode because the pixels are nice and square, and then the the screen size uh, it only requires about three three k, so it leaves plenty of memory left over for the rest of the code and and anything else. And in fact, that's the same resolution that uh, the Poker Squares game that I've written in the past uses yeah. as well. And some other older Coca games, like say Firecopter or something like that, were also in this mode too. So. Yeah, it's 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 a neat mode. Now it's got its drawbacks. So the resolution is pretty coarse, but but it's it's it, it's a pretty neat mode to use. The code itself is about twelve k long. It could probably be smaller, but every graphic subroutine that I wrote is tailored to the sprite that it's used for. So it means I have redundant code, but I th- I think ideally the uh, the it it should all be faster. Um, I'm not. In the game, I'm not double buffering. Um, in fact, I'm using VSync a lot in the game, to, uh, and I try to update the screen during the vertical blanking period, which um, allows the animation to be pretty smooth and and um, it doesn't flicker too much that way. Uh, let's see. Um, all the sprites are compiled sprites, and and since most of the animation is done in kind of single pixel increments. That means I've got multiple versions of each um, of the ghosts for sure and, and of, of many of the graphics that I had to compile in just like one pixel offsets from one another. So it's a little it's a little tedious to to do compiled sprites, but the um, the end result is totally yeah, worth it. Speed they, speed screen gain is worth it. Fly around the, the the screen and you don't have to worry about sprite masking and all the rest of that stuff that you might have to do. Now you still got to get and put the background behind the sprite, but um, which which is not that big of a deal. And I use um, unrolled loops for that, not not unrolled stack blasting loops, but unrolled unrolled loops all the same, and that helps things go fast. Uh, let's see, the tune that's in the game is actually a, a little short excerpt from the Tetris stand-up arcade game, like the arcade arcade version of of Tetris. Because I knew I wanted a like a traditional eight bit sounding tune, and I considered the Pac Man theme for a minute, and then I thought, nah, that's a little obvious. So plus, Mapco might sue. So that would be another. You never know, right? And so (laughs) um, I I actually was searching around, kind of listening to to MIDI files of different like eight bit tunes, and I found this site out there that had not a lot, but a pretty decent collection of of arcade tunes that had been converted into MIDI. And this was um, this one from Tetris called uh, like Kalinka, I think the name of the song was. It, it's a big, long song. And I just listened to it until I've heard little, you know, two or three second sections of it that I thought sounded like what I was looking for. And I just sort of took out those sections and and coded them into uh, a music, you know, set of da- uh, data statements that works with, uh, with Rick's subroutine and and that's where I have the music from. Uh, let's see. Uh, one bit of trivia. If I remember correctly, Rick's music routine is actually one based on Dale Lear, who was his coworker at the time. The guy who did baseball, et cetera. So it's, it's actually kind of a joint effort for them. And I'm glad you're using it as well. Yeah, it, I'm, it, it works. I couldn't have figured out how to do it myself. And uh, so I've, I've, I've used it a couple of times in a couple of different games. I, it's very convenient to have. I'm so happy that he shared it. Um, so the game runs on a Cocoa 1 or 2 with at least 32K. It works on a 32K machine or, um, of course, also a Cocoa 3. And in fact, on a Cocoa 3, like is in, running in the emulator right here, you can hit P 
ATP to switch through different palate sets. Um, now, let me go back to the beginning. The original palate set assumes you're running a Cocoa 3 with a VG, excuse me, an RGA monitor. The next one is if you were running a Cocoa 3 on a composite monitor. And then all the other ones are just, they've got RGB in mind. So of course they'll work on a composite monitor, but I have no idea what the colors will look like. Uh, and so there's like a, the, the, the blue and, and red one was sort of like the, the artifact mode four stuff. kind of artifact, artifacty color ones. And then there's a grayscale one here. There's a green, there's a green screen one kind of, and then this one is supposed to look like you're running it on an amber screen. I just thought I'd add some different palette choices since many times as, as those of us play Coco two games on a Coco three, especially in the P mode one color sets, we always like to tweak the colors ourselves on the, on the uh, Coco three. And so I thought I'd do that for you and, and give folks some, some different options to choose from. So um, let's see. I initially released this a couple of days ago and it ended up having some bugs in the Ken Kalish trap fall um, tradition. <laughs> so uh, uh, in troubleshooting those, I got a lot of help. So I talked to Nick who helped me understand better how to manage the DAC. And as you switch from sound or music to polling for, for joystick positions, kind of how to, how to deal with that. Uh, he also very helpfully um, explained how I had like hopelessly overcomplicated just pulling for the joystick button. You don't have to do all of the fancy stuff that you have to do with trying to find the joystick stick position for pulling a joystick button. It is um, extremely straightforward and I had woefully overcomplicated it. So um, with his guidance, I was able to make that part of the code um, both smaller and faster. And um, I think the audio quality improved as a result too, because I wasn't busy hammering on registers that I didn't need to be hammering on. Um, and I also found one single line of code that was completely unneeded. This was of course, after I had released it, um, that I forgot to delete at some point as I was iterating through the different versions that was causing my the, the stack to go way out of control. And eventually it would just clobber part of the actual program. Um, and in retrospect, this was a bug that Robert Allen and Buck Owens both reported that I was like, eh, it's only happening on the on the emulator. It must be a problem with the emulator. And then I had my granddaughter here um, sitting next to me playing it, playing the game on my Coco 3. And the same damn thing happened on the Coco 3. And so I thought, ah, it's, it's my code. It's not the emulator. So then I began this kind of wonderful process of using the MAME debugger and watching the memory change. And I actually spotted the, the stack issue pretty quickly. And um, then I just started pouring through my code and finally found a rogue like polls D command in there. And I was like, hey, why are you there? And as soon as I deleted that and, and recompiled it, it, it suddenly got a lot better. Um, and I guess lastly, this morning, I well, second to lastly, I don't know if Simon's here, but lastly for me, um, this morning, I did manage to modify the code so that it now works on a Dragon 32 and a Dragon 64 and the Tano Dragon and maybe that funky Dragon 200 Spain one or whatever it's called. It, it worked on all of those, at least in, um, in uh, XROR it did. And um, I found... And Parasaraps can be working on making actual disk images, et cetera. To yes, yes. I, had, I have a binary that I know works, but I couldn't figure out how to put it on a disk image that works on a dragon at least. Um, and I found I had to remove a, a line of code that stops the motor on a Coco. It's like an F, FF40 story. Yeah, into you clear it to shut the disk drive motor off. 
And, and initially when I was trying to get this to work on a, on a dragon, it would just crash immediately. And it was because of that, which, and that was like the second line of code on my code. It was because of that statement. Once I took that out, it actually came up. And so I thought, oh, I'm right. I'm, I'm really close. And then I just had to um, remove a couple of ROM calls that were in um, uh, Rick's music routine. Yeah. And change a couple of other things and it worked. So it was like 30 minutes of, of effort this morning. Once I like had the breakthrough of like, aha, it's this, this command that's messing everything up. 30 minutes later, I had a work inversion on, uh, on dragon as well. And then finally, Simon is working on a port for the MC 10, um, which is awesome. And I'll let him talk about that at, at some point, but it, uh, it came together pretty quickly and, um, I was happy with the results. Now, is, is there a maximum score? Or is this an endless game if you get good enough to last forever? Yeah, the score will go up to um, the score will go up to not um, it's ninety nine thousand nine ninety nine ninety nine basically ninety nine ninety nine and then it'll it'll roll over um, as you play the game uh, and you get further into it. Of course, this little the center here, I don't know if I'm sharing the audio on the game yeah. because hearing the audio, I, I, the we're game? not hearing the audio, but I can, I can see it. Okay. Um, as you progress through the game, the, the, there's an indication that the level has changed by, because in the middle here where there's this little yellow diamond, it'll change to a different fruit. And each, each time you advance to the next level, it plays a little tune and the game gets a little bit harder up to a point. Um, I think the third the third level, um, you start to see the the third enemy, if you will, or I guess it's really the fourth level if you don't count the first one. And then at that point, it doesn't get any harder. Um, and frankly, I think there's um, fruit graphics for the center that no one will ever see because <laughs> at, at at some point you just get you just get cornered. That sounds like a challenge to Buckle and I was just <laughs> going to say that myself. <laughs> yeah. And um, at some, so at the, the, the score will roll over. It'll give you no indication that you rolled the score. It'll just roll over. Um, but uh, I would be shocked and amazed if anybody gets 2,000 points, let alone 9,000 points. I uh, got the, a, the, a thank you best. in the chat here from Grant. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing his last name right. We met him at the fest. Uh, Grant Bloto. He said, Ghost Rush, super fun. Thanks so much for releasing this. Oh, I'm pleased to hear it. Yeah, pleased to hear it. It was fun to develop. And, and it was, as I say, it was um, a simple enough um, game conceptually that I felt like it was in my, my wheelhouse to be able to do it. And um, I, got, I got a lot of help from a lot of, from a lot of people either through, go, through code or um, doing some play testing or you know, helping me understand how to do things right. It uh, made a lot of fun. You got some high praise from Buck Owen says he's just played Pack Rush, the game it's inspired by, and he said Ghost Rush is better. Excellent. I I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if Pack Rush ever does anything except drop drop those spike strips from the top. And there's so many versions of Pack Rush. Like I, when I was trying to research it for the web page, which I'll show in a bit here, um, like the game originally, as far as I can tell, it came out in 2019, the first version, and there's versions for mobile phones. There's also versions for web browsers. There's multiple versions of each by different authors who never named themselves. Um, so I'm not even sure who, what the original, original one was, but yeah, I think it looks like it's just, you know, the one spike belty type thing comes down or whatever. I, I thought with the, you know, with the layout of a cocoa screen, you've got some space on the sides. Why not, why not use those? And then 
uh, you know, for me, it was just a natural progression. Okay, I'm changing to the ghost. I want the Pac-Man to be an enemy. Then Pac-Man comes from the side. So yeah. it, it just all worked out. Yeah, Buck says, uh, yeah, the pack dudes from the sides really adds to the game. I agree. Yeah, it, it, it means you have to manage in your brain things coming from you two know, different directions. Two, yeah. two different directions. And then eventually, and still three trying different to get directions. your dot too while you're at it. You know, so I'm you trying to get the dot. Yeah. You sort, of, you sort of have to get used to and you have to get comfortable with close calls and near misses. And the, the, the collision detection is a little bit forgiving. So yeah, once you can overlap while, an edge a little. You bit, can yeah. overlap a little bit, and and um, part part of that is because my collision detection is not very good, and part of it is because I did that on purpose so that it wouldn't. I would uh, go with ladder. It sounds yeah, better. Yeah, so that uh, people wouldn't, you know, want to throw their cocoa through the window like with the aforementioned yeah. trap fall. Well, one thing I mentioned uh, when I was talking to some people about it is that it's um, very easy to learn because you only have one control. You just change direction very hard to master. It kind of reminded me of Flappy Bird, except it's way less frustrating. Flappy Bird is even more frustrating than Trap Ball. Yeah, I so. can make it four seconds into Flappy Bird before I run into something. I've, I've yeah. never been able to figure that one out either. So, yeah. I like the fact you put in the alternate palettes there. And I, I, I'd ask you, actually, before we are setting this up, that uh, had you considered putting in the you know the alternate palette for the Coca 1 and 2, but you said you tried it with the white, cyan, orange, magenta. It, it just looked terrible. So. It just Yeah, it just didn't look... It didn't. I didn't see any reason... To, to put that in. And so I, 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 I did love, I, but I had it in there and I took it out and I, I had, some, I've, I had some other features in there that I've taken out as well because I didn't think they, um, they added to the experience or they in some way detracted from it. So. Now, one question, this is, you know, just me adding feature creep. Cause that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, have you considered like for a Coco VGA where you can change the palettes, have you considered doing the same palette changes, you know, for a person that has a Coco VGA on the Coco one or two or a dragon for that matter? If, if, if I follow the same suit that I do with poker squares, which is to make the game once and then make it 15 more times with, you know, different, different Milk iterations. It for all and, it's worth. Absolutely. Yeah. Then uh, <laughs> if, I, if I follow that, I'll probably do a 16 color version next um, for, okay. for um, Coco VGA and for the Coco 3. But I thought I'd start with, uh, with this one this time. Okay, cool. I'll get into Simon's version because he's actually got a little video up that shows like the intro screens animated and stuff that uh, he just pulled yeah. this morning. So it's a shame he's not here because he and I have been um, uh, since yesterday, literally yesterday afternoon or evening. He decided he really wanted to do this, and so I sh- I shared the the source code with him, and you know, five minutes later he had the beginning of the game up, and it, you know, it's 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 not a, a trivial conversion because there is you know i'm using every register that i can get <laughs> yeah. my hands on in 6809 and of course there's just what 6803 has a few less yes it has a few less <laughs> and so he's having to gronk his way through doing stuff in a much different way than the way i did it and of course he's he's very capable See, of i've, I've done that. the opposite like on you know i've contributed converting like 6502 code for like a pet ski and stuff where they only had a couple eight bit registers and that's it. And then you go to six and nine, you're just looking at the way they did things and going, Oh God, like I'm going to rewrite this whole thing. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's doing that with looking at my code too, going, what was <laughs> this? But um, uh, I, that's actually the upside of having him um, convert it over to, to run on an MC 10 is then uh, he's 
showing me what he's doing and he explained to me why he did it that way. And I'm learning all kinds of neat stuff. So, so do you have an inkling of doing an MC10 game yourself then? Or at some point in the future, do you have an MC10 or just an emulator, I guess? I do. I do. Yeah. I, I actually have a couple of MC10s, including one that I modded with, um, with Ed's um, composite out mod. I mean, they, they, they work great. I've got the, you know, the SD uh, add on for it and the whole bit. Um, uh, yes, I had considered, and actually I'd considered doing poker squares, of course, for the MC 10, I've never gotten around to that. And I, I, I got stuck trying to honestly, like with the fundamentals of, I prefer to do the development, um, in, you know, in windows and, and test it out on emulators and, you know, LW tools and all that stuff and, and setting up a similar windows based environment for the MC 10, I just, I, I hadn't figured out exactly how to set that up now clearly simon has because he's got it's in his video and so I'll, I'll i'll have him help me get it set up and then i i would like to 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 get comfortable at least with being able to code assembly for an mc10 because i think it's a neat little machine okay and then in poker squares uh like i know that is something you originally planned to release in a dragon version a while ago and we're gonna get you know paris can try to help with that so as you are you, are you you said you're considering backporting that to the MC10 as well? Do you think you have enough memory? I'm trying to remember what the memory requirements were in Poker Squares. Hmm. Well, it I mean, might obviously, have if to... you have an MCX32, like one of the more modern RAM cards, but yeah, would work with the old probably 20K, would I'm wondering. Probably would require that. I'm not sure that it would run in 20K. It's um, it, there's a lot going on with Poker Squares with the graphics and everything. It requires yeah. a fair amount of additional memory. No, it's a very well done game. I and mean, the fact you did it in two weeks is, is darn impressive. It came together quickly, you know, and, and released with only four bugs so far. Knock on wood. <laughs> I wish I could do that good. <laughs> so, I mean, considering you just literally released a couple of days ago, I was just going to ask the panel, like a couple of us played it uh, on the uh, live stream because it literally got released just like during the show on uh, Thursday. I was wondering, did anybody else in the panel get a chance to try it? Uh, I know Ken, you did. Yes, and it is far too addicting. <laughs> <laughs> I Job should done. also I should also add for the uh, game on challenge. Um, you can get the game in the general game post uh, channel on on Discord, and I pinned the uh, latest version in that channel. So, yeah, anybody that I, wants to pick that up, it's pinned in that channel. I also, also put it on my website yeah. too, temporarily until it's on the archive. It hasn't been approved yet. Last time I checked, uh, I'll, I'll change the link there. But I've got it, you know, the latest bug fix version on my website to download too. If people aren't on our Discord or aren't on Facebook, etc. And that reminds me, I need to send an, a new version, another new one, <laughs> another new one to not 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 no. The ones you guys have is is good, but the one that I sent for the archive is it's got a problem. Um, no one noticed, but I actually I hope no one noticed, but uh, I actually released three versions. There was one in the middle that I thought was good. And like yeah, 15 I minutes later, one. I realized it was not good. And I went and deleted everything. So that happened to be the one I sent um, to uh, the archive too. So I need to, I need to send him a, a third one and apologize. <laughs> I've done that to him too. He's used to it. Don't worry about it. Good, 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 good. A <laughs> um, couple of questions here and comments. Um, I guess one is that uh, Facebook was giving some problems with uh, getting usernames. It looks like it's fixed. Um, Dave and Sharon Berry, I tried it. It's great. 
Uh, Buck Owens, this is a question I had too, I think I mentioned to you before too, is uh, why no keyboard control to save our cocos from abuse? <laughs> Um, I could, and, and actually, um, I think I know it's um, easier to work with the PIA and the sound because you don't have the overlap that you would normally that Nick, Nick probably explained to you too. Right, 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 right. And, and, but adding this to, to be able to catch the space bar at the same time as pulling for the buttons, actually, if I remember right, looking at the keyboard matrix actually would not be that difficult. I think they're, they're all, um, looking at bit zero of FF whatever. So it, it, when I looked at it just this morning, I thought, oh, shoot, that had been pretty easy to do. So uh, I might yeah. do it. Of well, course, the, the reason MC I mentioned it is that I know like, uh, like 8 Bits in the Basement, when he first got his, his Coco, uh, he didn't have any joysticks. He just got the Coco 16K. So I, he was asking me, like, what keyboard games can I play? Because most don't. So I said, well, yeah. you can play Invader's Revenge and Phantom Slayer and a few others that would run in 16K. So I thought that was... You know, for people you know, that are getting them new off eBay, sometimes the joysticks are busted or not even there. And then that, at least I get that. There's no reason yeah. a game can run requires a joystick. Is no reason it should <laughs> require a joystick. I just did it that way, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I figure anybody who's got the you know the hardware probably has a joystick. At least that was my thinking. Or eventually is going to get a joystick. And anybody who plays it on an emulator isn't going to need a joystick anyways. Right. Yeah. True. You could get both of them to work. That's what he was keyboard just saying. It looks like it's pretty easy. Yeah. 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 I was looking at my handy dandy keyboard matrix sheet and I was like, oh, they're all on the same column there. And just like you were explaining to me the other the, the other day, Nick. So yeah. it, should, it should be pretty easy to do. That'll expand Which would mean your a fourth too. version of uh, of uh, the disc that I'll send out to everybody. So that's a new feature, though. That's not a bug fix. I'd call that 1.1. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, so go ahead. for 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 what it's worth, Paul, um, the VMC temp emulator has one of the best built-in debuggers there is. Mm. You you'll be spoiled if you get it set up and going right. Excellent. Cool. I did not know that. So, Ken, any uh, further things you want to say about it as the game on challenge? Um, nope. Just, there's no levels uh, to worry about this time, so there's yeah, just have fun. It's one button. After a little bit of a frustrating game that we had last week, this <laughs> is a nice relaxing game. It, it is oh, intended to be a game too, that anybody can pick up, but it, it yeah, it, it has its moments. Um, it has its moments, but especially when you got a good high score and you do something stupid like hit the button twice rather than once and turn <laughs> yourself back into the yep, <sighs> yep. I'll 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 give a, a just one tip. It's a little counterintuitive. I have found it's better to hang hang around in the top of the circle. It's it's very tempting to hang around in the bottom right, especially for the first little bit. Um, it's easy to get trapped that way. So if you can get used to hanging around the top, you'll actually you might find you get a little bit further um, further into it for sure. Now now Paul, will you? Um... I'll be, first of all, participating in the Game on Challenge yourself this week to submit a score. And if you are, are you planning on maybe if you have time to pop by on the Thursday evening live challenge? I will. Uh, yes, I, I, I if I can, I'll be there on the on the Thursday uh, Game on Challenge. Um, and I, I, I would like to participate. In fact, I'll tell you guys the best score I've gotten so far is 1,280. Oh so, God, you're you way know, above me. Beat that. <laughs> yeah, but we need we need photographic proof. <laughs> oh, I've got it. I've been taking screenshots as I've been going along, going, I'm saving this. I'm saving this. 
<laughs> he's got to have something to compete with Buck here. He's going to like have mastered in like two days. Yeah. I'm, what I'm afraid is Buck's going to come back with like a 6,000 score. And I'll, like, I played it for like 45 minutes straight. Yeah. That'll be By the way, Sloopy in the, chat, Sloopy in the chat actually made a comment too, which I think is steered at Ken. He said, about time those game on morons picked a good game. Cause I don't, I know he was not a fan of trap ball. So, <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see how this one fares. But, uh, well, we had I, a lot of fun. On, those of us that tried it on Thursday night did have a lot of fun playing it. So, you know, I, I, I jokingly said that in making this game, I wanted to make a game specifically that y'all would play on the game on section. So, you know, <laughs> mission accomplished. Yeah, and rather quickly, you did the game in two weeks, and it's right up on the third week. It's the game on challenge. <laughs> all part of the plan. It's all downhill just, from here is, now. This <laughs> is a complete uh, uh, bug finding week for us. We'll find, <laughs> if there's anything wrong in it, we'll find it. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the beta test challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's what you call it. <laughs> Pretty much. No, it's a it's a really fun game, and it's uh, it's one that like like I like you I'd never heard or seen it before. When I did some research, it's actually been around for at least three years that I could find. Mm. Um, and it does seem to be pretty popular. Some websites that actually just host it as a, you know, a, I don't know if it's Java or what the heck they did it in, but it's a, it's a pretty popular game on there too. And there's even some high score challenges I saw from people doing it on phones and on, on the browser version as well. So I think it is a fairly popular game if you're in the casual gaming circle, which, you know, as a retro, we're not too much into. Um, I mean, we've got Flag and Bird, you know, like, on the flappy bird and a few others like that but it's a good time well, to be a coco gamer though we've had two new releases here actually just in the last month we've had yours and we also had uh, clickamania by todd wallace which was his very first ml game he's ever done so yeah and and nick's good for a new game twice a year it seems these days so <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least at least <laughs> now do you I, I guess my last question before we uh go on to the game on news uh do you have a, like you were talking about possibly doing backports, MC10 of Poker Squares, and we talked in the pre-show about some other projects you had started and stopped type thing. Mm. Um, do you have anything that you're planning as your next project or resurrecting an old project is, if that happens to be the case, or are you more looking at doing something new again? Well, I, I, I stopped working on uh, my free cell game, also in the same resolution um, and the same funky colors. Um, a while ago, I set it down and it stopped for, I actually hadn't programmed for a while. And um, so if I, my plan is to pick pick that up again, which requires me to remember how the hell I did all of the things that I did up to that <laughs> point, because I've set it aside long enough that I don't remember. Um, and then um, after that, um, I know we had talked a little bit about Oregon Trail. Oregon Trail is not on my 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 radar and um at, at at this moment i know it's a it's a popular choice i'd love to to um to be able to play oregon trail on on the coco as well and i and i did get your this years ago i mean like four years ago got pretty far, far enough yeah far enough into um um developing oregon trail for the coco that i realized that any further i did not have the skill set to be able to accomplish it at that time. And um, I, I think I probably could um, complete it now. Um, but with Oregon Trail, it was uh, a little bit less of converting 
actual code because I never had the source code for the machine language portions of Oregon Trail. It's a mix of basic. And so I converted all the basic that I could get my hands on. I pretty much have that. I had all that converted, but everything else, which includes really the the, the game is, is uh, there's so, so much of it in assembly language that is just replicating it, not, not, you know, translating the code as just looking, watching the gameplay and then trying to replicate it. And so that's kind of a long process. So no, nah, it's not on my radar right now. Um, um, there's the other old one we were talking about in the pre-show too. I don't know if you want to talk about the, that. Yeah, the other old one. <laughs> nah, we don't need to talk about that other old one. That other old one is, is probably uh, seen its day. Um, if I were to do another dungeon crawl game, um, uh, a couple of years ago, I, 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 I did a, I released just a, like a, almost a demo of kind of like an isometric 3D view. Um, and if, if, for those of you who play Dungeons and Dragons, if you've ever seen some of the, um, just the, the map sketches that people do that looks like the the floor is kind of hovering in space and you can kind of see the the earth underneath it uh, a little bit um and but it's a, like an isometric view i had replicated um that kind of a look on uh, a coco uh in, in p mode four for a coco one two or three and uh, it I really was happy with the way that it turned out. And then it's just building a game around it. So if ever I were to do another dungeon crawler, it would probably be based on that. Yeah. I believe a flippant comment from Sloopy here. Oh. Uh, talking about uh, writing the code to do Oregon Trail. He said, 10, print hello. What's your name? 20, print hello, X string. You died of dysentery. Game done. <laughs> not, not the original, like, creative computing 1976 version of Oregon Trail, Sloopy. Like, the really good Apple II version. Yeah. Animated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anybody yeah, the version the you're doing is the 1985 rewrite, which is, like, the third or fourth version. So, with the kind of cool graphics and stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that would... That would be a great project to go do. Uh, all I need is for someone to fund me for two years, you know, so that I can <laughs> stop working. So, you know, let's do a GoFundMe or something, but, you know. Yeah, Patreon and that. <laughs> I can take crickets on my projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but going to say the text get. version is the only cool one. <laughs> yeah. It does have the benefit of uh, engaging one's imagination. It's definitely yeah. period accurate. Yep. Yeah. And, and better yet, you have to do it on a teletype machine, none of this fancy screen <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so anyway, I'm looking for the game on challenge. Like I said, it's, it's a very easy game to learn to play. There's only one control, and that's to hit the button to change your direction. That's it. Don't get hit by stuff. Eat the dot. You know, it's, it's dead simple, but hard to master. Uh, yep. As you get into the later levels, where you start getting you know stuff coming from the sides, like the Pac-Man. Plus, you still got the other thing you know coming down at you, whatever we're going to call it, uh, teeth, teeth or razor teeth. blade or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> a dip, dip uh, chip and stuff. And there um, is a third enemy that uh, I think Sloopy saw, but you have to get a you have to get a fair way into the game to, before the third enemy appears. Yeah, I, I guess one thing I, I will we can kind of reveal. It won't reveal what you're going to come up against there, but how many different levels of fruit, et cetera, is there total? Like, well, or- there's there's six different fruits, but the game doesn't progress in difficulty past the third fruit. Okay. So getting to the orange level, 
the level where it puts a little orange in the middle. That's uh, that's really as far as as far as the game gets in terms of throwing different things at you. And then it's just stamina. Yeah, and luck. And luck. Really luck, yeah. Yeah, but Curtis runs out of stamina pretty quick. Only after a 40-hour drive. <laughs> <laughs> as, as Ken to attest, we'll come up with that in the news, too. Okay, Thank so you, guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on. Uh, hopefully we'll see you on the live challenge on Thursday, and I definitely wanted you to come do a follow-up here on the Game on Challenge just to see what you can get everybody's opinions of the game that played it that wasn't on the, the live challenge and uh, maybe some any suggestions or anything else. Or Yeah, and all the bugs. Hopefully no more bug fix. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, hopefully no more bug reports, but you never know. Never know. And by next week, we should all come up with some good feature creeps. That's cool because there's, I'm sure there's an next version in the works at some point. And yeah. And then next week's one. game will be the MC10 version because I imagine Simon will be done by then too. So. I, I bet he's <laughs> done now, which is why he's not here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that's it for that. So uh, join in on that game. You can, like you said, you can get it on Facebook if you get the latest version. Did you delete all the old versions on Facebook? I think like yes. only the most recent one is there. Yes. Um, if it shows up in the archive, that will be the slightly older version. So he'll be resubmitting that. And uh, Ken posted it on our Discord in the Game on Challenge channel, I believe, or in general. General game posts. Um, actually, okay. Paul Paul posted it in there, and then I just pinned his message. Okay, and it's also available on my site, which I'll show the the page yeah. here shortly, just so people can see it. But yeah, it's a great game, and uh, thanks for coming on. Um, we'll see you on uh, Thursday and next Saturday, hopefully both and. Uh, Eventually, we'll get you on for full interview to go through all your games and your Cocoa history, et cetera, too. So. Cool. Thank you. Okay. So I think I'll just jump straight into the game on news. There's not a ton, but there's some. Um, and some of what we've already kind of discussed. We should so probably run the... Uh, first commercial? Uh, first commercial with the... That's good, because I'm out of coffee. So, yeah, that works for yeah. me. Bio time. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French computer. Radio Shack. Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our program, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Blair Ledoux, Boat and Aaron, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, Brian Walsh, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Daddy Burrito, Daniel Williams, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebge, Grant B., Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jay Style, Ken Reichert, Malfunct, Melly, Michael Pitsley, Mike Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulen, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you ever so much, patrons.
from around the world. What you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Curtis Boyle. Hello, a Muppet News Flash. And take it away, Curtis. Okay. So as we alluded to earlier, I got the web page up, which actually has a download. I took not all the different color sets that uh, Paul showed, but just some to kind of give you an idea. And then a little bit of the gameplay. Uh, the first couple of levels here, and a bit of a write-up. And uh, the actual download there. So you've got multiple places to get it. So if you're not on Facebook or you're not on our Discord, there's, there's different alternative ways to get it. And if you're on those, of course, they're much easier to find. So grab the game and uh, download it and uh, join on the Game on Challenge this week. It's a fun game. And this is a little bit of uh, video gameplay that uh, I'll put up on Facebook. I do like your bouncing shapes, too. That was a nice little touch. Well done. So, did the audio come through for everybody there? Yeah, it did. Yep. Yeah, I, I thought to give the title screen to make it kind of also an attract screen so it has something going on instead of catch your interest every once in a while. I have to say, looking at it, if you're considering this a, a, a dip chip, like an actual computer chip, like a RAM chip or something, um, it looks like one I would have taken out because it's all damaged and the pin is all bent. Pretty manually, damaged. So. Yeah. It does sort of look like an IC. Yeah. It looks like a, a Curtis uninstalled That's what I IC. It was. Yeah. Uh, well, well, let's call it that. I like that best, actually. <laughs> yeah. Then you just put the random chip numbers on it. Yeah. Anyway, for those who have not actually seen the game in action, that's that's what it looks like. And like I said, you just hit the button, then you switch directions, and you you can't stop. So you're constantly checking to see where stuff's coming at you. Is that so? Just like Timberman, where you get hit yeah. by the tree. <laughs> yeah. That's the fun thing. Like some of these games that are very, very simple in concept and controls actually are the most fun because you don't have to learn a bazillion things and read a manual and everything else, which, you know, as I've discovered, most people don't bother doing anyway. So if you can yeah. the game that's dead simple, it's it's more popular. You know what, Curtis? I wonder if Paul Fiscarelli's going to come up for a bot for this one. Yeah. Please don't. <laughs> and at least until the challenge is over. <laughs> challenge accepted. <laughs> No, no, no. no. Challenge accepted version. after Saturday. Next Saturday. So this is Simon's first post here, or maybe second post. I think he had a, a screenshot that actually had some garbage in the background when he first converted. He hadn't even cleared the screen yet, but he got the initial uh, splash screen with his little added MC10 version by Invis, which is his short for Invisible Man, which is his handle that he did when he was on the demo scene on the Commodore 64 back in the day. And he still uses today. And then he did a little update just this morning, which I'll play a little bit of. Where he's actually got the screen with the animations on there with the go size moving and the fruit bouncing up and down too. So, Yeah, it, it, it's worth noting that uh, um, I, I mentioned my game makes liberal use of, uh, of vertical blank and that, that there isn't a vertical blank uh, for the MC. Yeah, not a real one. You can do that little timing trick and use the built-in timer on the 663. So, but yeah, yeah, he's going to have to figure... Uh, of course, he, I'm sure he knows how to do that, but he'll have to work around that limitation as well. So it's... Uh, it's 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 like yeah, I said. Yeah, you have to do the move the 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 bar, the color or whatever, up or down until it disappears at the top of the screen. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, basically, you, you you tell to adjust where the where VSync is going to be triggered because you can set a programmable timer. You just don't know when it's actually lining up with the sync, but you can time it for a sixty hertz, so you know exactly it's it can exactly be one scan. Yeah, timing it for sixty hertz yeah. is easy. Getting it to tr trigger at the, the right on time the is itself, the trick. Yeah. yeah, that's what those little selection screens like John Linville and others have used, where you can you know, move this little orange bar. You're changing between the two color sets, green and orange, and you move it up until it's off in the V blank area. Then you know that's when. You trigger and then you have the programmable timer just follow through with that. Hmm. There, a bit of nerd nerdiness from James and me. Nothing rage quittable. <laughs> All right, next up, this is a channel I've not seen before, and it's called Retro Re Rewind. It has nothing to do with Frank and RetroRewind.ca, and it's um, basically been around for a while. It's a software retro. It's retro, not just computer retro too. He goes to all kinds of retro things, and he's from the UK, I believe. So he decided to play Dragon 32 games, and he played Chambers and Shock Trooper here. And uh, no manual, of course, so he has no idea what he's doing. Um, Chambers, he kind of figured out pretty good. He actually didn't do too bad. Uh, Shock Trooper, he he didn't even figure out that you could hold down the button to fire a longer flamethrower. So he's tapping it constantly, trying to block bullets. And, of course, it just you know flips a little flame out for like a split second, so sometimes he'd catch it, sometimes he wouldn't. So... Uh, read your manuals, folks. That's all I can recommend for advice there. <laughs> I will mention he gets very spirited in the game and swears a lot um, when he gets frustrated. So uh, if you're into that kind of thing, I found it hilarious because he was just overreacting to everything type thing. But uh, it, it's, it's a pretty fun video. And like I said, in Chambers, he actually kind of figured out at least part of what he was doing. He got into multiple chambers. He actually solved some of the chambers and stuff there. He didn't realize you could change the maps as a whole sequence of different maps of multiple screens on each map type thing that you have to go through. There's a lot of gameplay in that thing. Um, but other than that, it's a pretty good review and he, he did have fun on it. So, and it's a channel I'll kind of watch if he does any more dragon 32 or dragon 64 stuff here, I'll definitely check into it. And I would play a clip, but I don't remember where he starts swearing profusely at it. So I'll just skip that. Cause we're normally a family show. Next up, our Game On Challenge this week. Now, Ken, I believe you actually received some score submissions from uh, AJ and Tim, didn't you? Yes, we did. Which actually are screenshotted from this very show here. They are. So I'll play a little bit of it. Uh, I think there might be some four-letter words later on, but <laughs> I'll, I'll stop it before it hits that. There's also a shout-out to the Taylor and Amy yeah. show here for helping them cure a joystick. Guess what today is? <laughs> What's today? Recording day. <laughs> Don't tell them the secret. <laughs> <laughs> God, I'm so excited. We have something fun planned. Yes, we have a Pitfall clone today. We're going to be playing uh, Pitfall by Ken Kalish. It's not Pitfall. It's Trapfall. Get it yes. straight. Well, um, let's, let's... Can, can you tell their siblings already? be honest this is pitfall it's ken kalish's uh version of uh pitfall called trapfall uh works on a 16k color computer one uh it's got okay sound it's got okay graphics i do like the sound i'm not sure i'm in love with the game though mm. um anyway i'll let you watch the rest of the video there but they actually are using an atari joystick that the taylor and amy show recommended them to get so they're actually playing like you know basically the equivalent on a coco of what you would have used an Atari 2600. Now, I will say my memories are a bit vague on the Atari 2600 version of Pitfall. I haven't played it in years. But for those of you who might have played it more recently, I believe it's not quite as pixel perfect as the Cocoa version. I think it's a little bit easier, is it not? Has anybody here on the panel played it recently? 
it's not that different. I I felt that they played very similarly from that perspective. So it's just like, as hard. You can just as the be a little bit off. Yeah, it's just as hard. Oh, okay. I, jumping over the scorpions is near impossible on the twenty six hundred too. I thought it was much easier on the twenty six hundred and the Atari eight bit. Hmm. Because I actually played the Atari 8-bit on the show for a little bit, thinking I was going crazy. <laughs> well, that has nothing to do with playing pitfall, but... Anyway, it's one of their, their great reviews. I'm just trying to remember, there's a there's a lot of cool little quotes and comments that they did, you know, going back and forth, because they were both getting quite frustrated with the game, so it was, it was great. And they were playing the original 1.0 version, which has that bug where if you leap off the vine... And then you hit jump as soon as you land on the ground, you actually jump down into the ground and then you're screwed until you die, basically. So um, I don't think anybody hit that with the 1.1, so I'm pretty sure that's what 1.1 was supposed to fix. Um, so for those of us who have the original 1.0, which is what I was playing, I just know not to hit hold the joystick button down when you jump off a vine, otherwise that happens. So I just kind of got it in reflex in my memory from the old days. I just never do that, so it, I don't get stuck in the ground, but every once in a while it still happens. And I remember Tim's. Uh, Tim really hated this game. He said he wants to meet Ken Cash and tell him to rewrite his uh, collision detection and stuff on it. So I think he rated it like half a joystick or something like that. <laughs> oh, I, one thing I will mention now that they mentioned the show too is that uh, they're making plans because they basically they record once a month and they record four shows worth at once. But they are talking about they might try to start scheduling so they can come on to the live challenge on Thursday. Um, maybe once a month too, if they maybe if they can pick a game that they both think they really like and not get too frustrated with or something like that. But they're going to try to actually make it onto the live challenges you know, one of these days. So, Ken, keep an eye out for that. And Tim, if you're listening to this, and AJ, uh, just let us know if you know what which one you will be popping on, and we'll try to promote it on the show the week before that you'll be live guests on it just to help promote your channel. And next up, Jim Gary did another conversion here. Um, this is a game called Kajelian, if I'm pronouncing that right. Originally from MyCom Basic Magazine in August 1985. I'm not even sure what platform that was originally for. Now, it's a, it's a rather interesting game. It's kind of like, if you remember the old escape games where you have a, like a maze and there's you know bombs and guards chasing you and stuff, and you have to grab money and sneak around walls, et cetera. Pretty basic. I mean, uh, I'm trying to John Linville did one similar to that. On the MC10 and on the Coco, I'm trying to name it off the top of my head. Christmas Russia. No, Christmas. Oh, um, Christmas Russia. Yeah. We're basically trying to dodge guards, go around the trees and try to escape. In this case, you're just adding treasures you have to pick up at the same time. Um, the unique thing about this version, though, is that it's actually split screen. So it's got two mazes side by side. It's exact same play field. Your player shows up on both. But one side has where the gold bars and the walls are. And the other side has where the guards and the bombs are. So you have to keep track of both screens simultaneously to make sure you're not running into, like you're running towards a dollar sign, which is a treasure on the right-hand screen, but there's a bomb in your way that you can see on the left-hand. So you kind of have to keep track of both mazes simultaneously. It reminds me a lot of Grabber that way, which is Atomic's classic, one of my favorites of all time. So I'll play a little bit of that there, but I just wanted to kind of explain, you know, how that works in case it's confusing. Now, it was originally released in 1985. This is actually a modified one from 88, but... Uh, that he based it on. So this is the first level. You only have one guard, which is the at sign chasing you, and he's dropping bombs. So you have to kind of keep track of those. And then the right side, the number signs are walls, the dollar signs are the treasures you're trying to get. And there you saw he just got killed, you know, going towards the treasure, but not keeping track of the other side of the screen. 
plus an interesting take on that that style of game. I, I quite like the dual dual screen version of it. I mean, that kind of gives you an idea. I won't play the whole, the whole three and a half minutes here, but an uh, interesting take on it. Um, I think if somebody spices up with some graphics and stuff, that actually would be a pretty pretty nice presentable game on the Coco too. So I don't know if that's something maybe uh, Paul Shoemaker might want to tackle at some point. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's all the game on news I had this week because we covered most of it during the game on challenge, uh, talking about Paul's game. So. I will go straight into the regular news. I um, can I interject something for a second? Oh, sure, go ahead. I just Indeed. want to uh, make a shout out because uh, speaking of games, many of us uh, back in the day would type in uh, programs in the magazines and such, and play them on our computers. And as many of us know, Frodo and L, uh, a uh, person of the community, this past uh, Friday, actually sat down and and uh, on his stream typed in the entire game uh for spectrum game yeah for, for the spectrum and uh it actually worked the first time through <laughs> well you had a couple minor bugs you had to fix yeah, but yeah minor bug but i mean it was playable the first time through and yeah. and it it's that is quite the accomplishment even today yeah there's several pages of code to type in too so yeah <laughs> Wait, you mean on these type-in games, there's actually a game to play at the end? It's not just type it in and find all the bugs? I thought that was the game. It's it's, it's the pixel-perfect type-in. Oh, this is a great game. You've got to type it in. You spend a week typing it in, you get it, and you play it once, and it's, this sucks. (laughs) You typed it in. And then mom mom turns off the computer. Yeah, before you had a chance to save it. Yeah, actually, yeah, I watched the, I watched part of the stream there when he's doing it. It was part of a charity, actually, too. Yeah, so it was for a good cause. But um, I, I want to give him a uh, gold th- uh, game on thumbs up for such the feat. Yeah, I mean, Aaron and Brent tried that on ARG Presents the Amigos, uh, their Sunday show. Uh, they actually did two Coco type in games from Rainbow, and they both happened to pick Gopher games by coincidence. One for the Coco One, one for the Coco Three. But they kind of cheated a little bit and did really, really small type in games, or maybe like a quarter of a page. Whereas Frodo did several pages of magazine, and there's a whole chunk of data statements with just numbers. Those are always ones that screwed me up when I was typing in. Because you got just number after number after number and commas and they just run together after a while. So in fact, he got it that close the first try and only had a couple quick little bugs to fix was pretty amazing. I have to agree with Slippy on that one. It's not something I think I'd attempt. Once they got that uh, checking system that did a Uh, a checksum on your line that you typed in it wasn't so bad because you knew right away you had made a mistake because the checksum that it came up with was different yeah Yeah, there was there was two techniques they really did the the rainbow checksum was a big one the rainbow check as it was called and they did rainbow check plus a year or two later which kind of does a a, like you said a checksum but they also formatted the listings to be the same width of characters that the screen is 32 so if you could be typing along, as long as you put the spaces and stuff in the exact spot, you could see if you went out of alignment, you added a character, you missed one, and you could immediately see when the word wrapped around that, oh, that's on the right spot. You could catch it pretty quick. So it was two things they did to try to help you type type things in. Um, well, uh, one of the programs I posted on Facebook, somebody, instead of cutting and pasting in an emulator and saving it, they typed it in. 
Oh, <laughs> and, they, and I was like, you did what? <laughs> That's hardcore. And man. they That's made a hardcore. mistake on the data statements. And I, the first thing I told them was to check the data statement. Oh, I, I double checked and it's right. No. And, and Sloopy. <laughs> Yeah. Sloopy, I want to thank you for actually mentioning Frodo in his stream last night, because I wanted to mention something I, I kind of forgot to mention earlier here because I didn't have a screenshot because his stream was still going. But uh, <laughs> he did his standard Saturday morning uh, live stream where he takes suggestions of uh, games to play on every platform that he could do in his mister. And yeah. I happened to catch it earlier this morning and I gave him a couple of Cocoa suggestions. And uh, the two games I suggested for him, he played a few extra ones on top of that was Todd Wallace's Clickomania that was just released you know, a month ago. And also Paul Shoemaker's new Ghost Rush game. So we actually... Frodo tried both of those live, live on the stream on Twitch. So, oh, nice. Uh, if you want to check those out, you can watch him playing those games. Uh, probably half an hour, an hour into the stream. I can't remember exactly what time it was. But uh, yeah, if you're, if you're on Twitch or actively on Twitch, you should be able to find Frodo NL, this is his name, on there. And uh, you can check out his live stream and uh, check out some Cocoa games in there too. He tried Donkey Monkey too, which is a bit frustrating controls once again. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That seems to be a recurring theme for some reason. It's easy to animate. It's hard to interface with a human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why Terminators just got rid of that whole problem. Um. Okay. So I will switch over to the regular news. Let me get my window up. I can see it. Change the sharing Okay, so Rick Eulen, you can you can pipe in on some of this stuff too because I think you've seen these as well, and it's uh, concerning your product. So, <laughs> so uh, Mikey Furman has been doing a couple things, like we covered his uh, ping and some other testing he did uh, last week. So he's released a couple new videos this week. Um, the first one is a ten minute video, roughly showing the network card with ping and echo u commands, which is basically to send echo strings back and forth. Um, and he's running this with on a Cocoa 1 and 2. So this card works on a Cocoa 1 or 2. It doesn't require Cocoa 3. Now, obviously, he's using a Cocoa VGA because he's running the 64 by 32 text screen uh, with true lowercase here. And I'm not going to play the, the whole thing here, but uh, I'll just let him kind of explain a little bit uh, how to set up here. And then I'll, I'll jump over to the other video where the more interesting stuff is happening. Sys interfaces. And this file looks like it was basically straight <laughs> out of Linux, Ethernet 0, my IP address, gateway, netmask, MAC address, and he added one thing, physical address. So you, if you have this file, uh, next you can run the command to actually configure the card. So you, you do that by running ccio-i for initialize. So it will read. I need to do one thing first. <laughs> Hello, OS9. All right. This is why EOU has a huge commands directory in case somebody's wondering. That problem disappears. Yes. And so it confirmed uh, all of the settings that we saw in the configuration file are now on the card. Now, the card should be ready to talk to the interwebs. So let's try ping first. I'm going to ping my Raspberry Pi here, Cocoa Pi, 16.11. Hey, 
It says ping timeout. That's not supposed to happen. I like that he leaves his videos with all the mistakes, too. The play-by-play here. I like that. If I try pinging the gateway. This is more like a realistic way things go. Realistically, he'd be cussing by now. Well, I need this Raspberry Pi, so I'm going to have to find out Mike, he's a nice guy. He doesn't care. Exactly what his IP address is. Let's try pinging something on the internet. I like using name servers. They're easy to remember. This is Google. I can ping that. Google is the launch bombs. I do want to note uh, the time shown here is not milliseconds, seconds, or anything. This is simply the number of times that the code goes around the loop waiting for the ping to come back. All right, so I need to retrieve this IP address. So, uh, let's, that should work. All right, so this is the ping utility. Also have another utility. Um, one of the first uh, internet demons, one of the very earliest requests for comments or RFCs is the echo service. It's RFC 862. And these days, in this day and age, it's normally a service that's turned off because there's some security issues with it. Well, I turned this service on on my Raspberry Pi for testing, and I enabled it on both TCP and UDP. So what the Echo service does is you connect to the service, and whatever you send it, it sends you right back. And again, it does it on both uh, UDP and TCP. So I have enough of my library done where we can actually test this. So I have this program called EchoU, and if I run this, it'll give us the usage. So you can either have dash U to have it um, do an echo test on UDP or dash T to have it on TCP. So let's do UDP first. EchoU, we'll do UDP 172.16.1.11, get that typed in correctly. And let's see what that does. Hello, Internet. Hello, Internet. All right. So that seems to work. It spoke to my Raspberry Pi. Let's try TCP. Echo U dash T 172.16.1.11. Should look exactly the same. And it does. Last thing is I am going to uh, show you guys this program. Just have a little look at it. So, so I won't do this. He actually goes through the actual source code listing for some of his utilities and stuff here. I also mentioned in the chat. He says, "Boring." Oh wait, that's me. That's what they all self-deprecating. That's great self-deprecating. We were watch paint dry. And yes, Mikey, you can heckle yourself. <laughs> So that was his first video. And then a few days later, he actually did this one here. Um, I think this is more what Rick was talking to and referring to earlier. So Rick, you want to give a little bit of background on this for a play a little clip? Um, the NP, NTP date thing? Or, or do you know too well, much about that? you know, I mean, real-time clocks are great, but we could just ask somebody. So you've got a network card, NTP. 
Forget RTC, NTP, NTP, NTP. <laughs> now this one he presented a bit differently here. He's actually kind of got a, a bit of a wrapper around it and with a you know a little bit of humor too. So I'll play well, the beginning I, of that and we'll fast forward. I, I think what's actually... happening here, he said he was going to implement DriveWire, and along the way he's implementing all of TCP utils and everything else. So hey, I'm a fan. <laughs> Hello everyone, this is Mikey N6IL. Let's see what I've got going on my Coco 2 today. Let's bring up Nitrous 9 and see what we can do on there. Aw <coughs> oh man, why are my silly Cocos always asking for the time? Oh, I love it. I love it. Mm. I'll do the Jason yeah. comment. <laughs> I wish there was a better way so that I didn't have to enter the time every single time I boot Nitrous 9. Let's see if we can answer that question in the riddle I posted on Facebook. My Coco needs to know what time it is, and it can send and receive UDP packets. Oh, I wonder if there's some way that I could make use of my Computer Connect Coco ION Ethernet card. Maybe there is. Let's have a look at the startup file. time. That's the way that uh, Nitrous 9 pretty much always comes up. Let's change this. Initialize the CCIO card and then NTP uh, date dash s dash p Alright, that looks correct. Let's save this and restart. Yay! I don't have to enter the time anymore. And I don't need no stinking real time clock either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show a little bit about how this works. Now, I won't, I won't go through all that because that's 15 minutes of going through the source code and how everything works there. Uh, I'll leave it to the people that are into this kind of thing to actually go through that. It's actually very informational. I, I actually did watch it all the way through. But, uh, yeah, I like the fact you presented with a bit of humor. Um, I like that. I appreciate the fact that he's still awake in the chat even to last long enough to get to his story. Um, but, yeah, this this is uh, one thing, like, we've been talking, like, for years about RTCs, real-time clocks, the hardware versions of, like, smartwatches, et cetera which we did back in the day in the 80s and 90s. And uh, with, with something like a, a networking card, like what Rick's doing, and I, uh, Jim Brain's got one on the go too, is that uh, you really don't need to do that anymore. Now, you probably will have to refresh the clock every once in a while because the Cocoa is not perfect at keeping in track. There's certain functions that have like a long time where interrupts are shut off or 
you're using a real floppy drive and it halts the CPU dead, so it loses some time. So you'll have to refresh it every once in a while. And to be honest, we did that with the smartwatches too. We'd have it refreshed maybe once every minute or once every hour and kind of you know, refresh the time so it's totally up to date instead of it drifting off. But uh, this kind of solves the problem. You don't need any hardware. You don't need extra slots. You don't need a multi-pack. You don't need to like, take a cartridge apart and piggyback a smartwatch on a ROM chip or any of that kind of stuff. You can just do it all in software with one card here. And the card just doesn't do just that. I mean, like some of the, like the one that uh, Ron DeVoe showed earlier, which was a real-time clock cartridge. That's all it did. That was his dedicated you know, purpose in life. With a network card, there's a whole bunch of stuff you can do. I mean, this is just scratching the surface. This is just the start. Right. Um, Come for the clock. Keep it for the cat memes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, well, you've been working on the, the World Wide Web Wrangler. Right. Right. Uh, the thing is, I think, is that what's being done here is just kind of a, a net utils in general thing. It's not particularly the clock or a ping it's we're actually making a network stack for baby OS nine and Jim's card should be able to work with it with a more complex driver than this thing needs. But you know, this is all work together. So I'm yeah, really once that driver functionality is done, you can make common libraries that don't care which version of the driver, which version of the hardware you're running in. You can just. Right. Michael's code should work with uh, you know, Jim's card. If there's a driver that he can talk to. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is exciting stuff. I'm and you'll be able to eventually do stuff like, uh, you know, FTP files back and forth, um, IRC chat, like Todd Wall showed us his IRC chat, the weather app that he's doing. This all would use this as well instead of using DriveWire. Um, and then also for people like Nick Brantes, if we can get a common set, now we'll have to make some you know, disk basic ones that are common to some sort of libraries for that as well. But eventually you can start doing real-time games played across the net. Right, right. Head-to-head, et cetera. So. <laughs> and the cool thing is the setup is... You know, this, <laughs> it's a, it's a game card with a network jack on top and that's it. <laughs> it Since I've been messing. Of... Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying it doesn't require a lot of faffing around, you know, grab wire connections and a host PC or Pi or. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite part of it. It becomes sent, it, part of the Cocoa itself. You don't need an extra computer running something in the background. I've been working with Rick on uh, trying to do some software on this. And one of my thoughts was having a layer for, well, both OS 9 and just, just you know, uh, this extended color basic that looks kind of like DriveWire. So that any DriveWire applications could be fairly easy moved over and use the, the Cocoa IO or something else for the transport, because that'll make it really easy to take existing software and you know, pretty easily have it working with yeah. new hardware. As long as it's expandable past that, because there's some stuff we could do here that's not built into DriveWire. I'm, oh yeah, I don't know if Mikey's planning and implementing a bunch of stuff there, but yeah, this this actually has more expansion possible. Um, Nick, I know you we've talked about it a bit in private and stuff here too. Like like this is something that could be exciting for you once it, if we if the the library layers for extended basic and uh, OS nine come out that uh, it becomes fairly easy to write code to actually communicate with this and actually have to go over. Um, I think you see some pretty interesting possibilities in head head games or you know, yeah. multiplayer games, et cetera, too. So yeah, be good. I'd like to see a Wi-Fi version of these cards. For now, I've got uh, the thing that Mike, that uh, Mark showed me. This little who's it, what's it that can be it's a travel router. Yes, it can. It can be Wi-Fi in, or, or it can be um, wired in, or wired out, and Wi-Fi in, or Wi-Fi out, and it can be a hot point. It can be anything else in the world. And so the way we were using it at this last Cocoa Fest is that I plugged Rick's little netbook into it, connected to the 
a hotel's Wi-Fi and basically got it. I got, actually got his, a laptop authenticated because I have a, a captive portal you have to get past. And then I copied the Mac to that device. And so it connected to the hotspot. And so then I have an Ethernet port that goes Wi-Fi to the hotel. And then we could plug the Cocoa and IO into it. And we pulled up Curtis's web page. <laughs> Yeah, with my too long of links, I got a little bit too wordy, apparently. Yeah, yeah. It's we been fixed that, but I, that's okay. I broke the rest of the program while I was putting the menus <laughs> in, so. <laughs> uh, I ain't software development grand. <laughs> it's an arms could, race. What, 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 I'd like, what I'd like to see eventually is just a cartridge. Just plug it in, and that's it. Got Wi-Fi, no wires, no yep. Things ding, dangling on the outside, just a cartridge right. in your multi pack. The, the, the problem I'm trying to avoid is if I make a specific solution, everyone will write to one specific solution and then no one can do anything different. That's what we wrote to. So I'm trying to be as stupid as I possibly can right now and get solutions written for the very basic Ethernet. And then whatever we do to Wi Fi on top is what we do on top of that. Can you have both so, in the cartridge? Well, yeah, of course we can, but I don't have an unlimited budget. And right now, wired Ethernet, least common denominator, let's get some drivers out and some code out. And then then we can add Wi-Fi on top or, you know. Once everything's kind of built, tested. And there. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get another 87 sound card situation where – Everyone's written to one specific solution and there's no common ground in the middle. So this is really stupid. It's very common. And <laughs> if we expand from there, it's like a tree. It'll, you know. One yeah. thing would be nice with the Wi-Fi solution is not to use a serial port, kind of like the uh, the Zymodem Wi-Fi modules, because then you'd have to write like a slipper PPP layer like you used back in the dial-up days in order to get your networking on top of that. It'd be nice yeah. to actually just have something like an ESP32 that would actually literally tie in, have some sort of registers, more like a network card. But, you know, that's another, that's a whole other level of hardware. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is, is that when you think about Wi-Fi, you then run into problems with that, is different regions of the world have different channels that you can and can't use legally. And then you've got... yeah. Yeah, and then you also run into the other issue is what if you're in an area where your RF spectrum is so overloaded, the Wi-Fi doesn't work. So now you got a solution that you can't use because the radio frequencies are just jammed. Well, David, you if you're in a country that, and you've got a router set up that's limited to that country, it you're not going to be able to configure your wi-fi whatever for the cocoa and connect to anything so i think that's kind of a moot point but i think i think mikey has a good thing in the comments he's writing a bsd socket library for os9 and then you can do it that way you will but once he's done that with you know this it's software right now it's hardware dependent to my card but it doesn't have to be um but it's not so you know don't get too complicated right away get networking going and then yeah, get, get the basics done then we can add the wi-fi as an extra layer on top and maybe come up with a couple of common solutions that you know might be more country agnostic but but right now there's nothing and it's been you know 25 years of trying to do something and never really doing 
no one's congealed around any one thing. Let's just do something really, really vanilla and go from there. You know? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like I, I understand Nick's Nick's point of view because I mean, for some people, the situation is uh, how physically things are set up. Wi-Fi is almost a necessity. Like my my active cocoa is actually in a completely different room, and I don't have the cabling to stretch it over, and I don't want to like blast holes from my walls to drag it over there. So, eventually, getting to Wi-Fi would be something I'd want to do as well. Although, um, to be honest, if I had to put Wi-Fi in the card right now, this is cheaper. Yeah, plus we can probably actually get the parts. <laughs> well, put, yeah, well, 30 bucks and plug it into the $50 thing I got and you're done where it would probably cost me 30 bucks to get Wi-Fi into it and get it built and get it out there and try to absorb. Then we got to drive the software. <laughs> and software. What, and yeah. What was yeah. that? I, I missed that. What was that? Oh, this is the little uh, TCP link. Uh, what's a good... AC 750 for nine. I'm going to stop sharing here so Mark can spotlight so you can see what you're doing here. Oh, there you go. He's got it. Perfect. Okay. Now, yep. Hey, hold it up, Rick. So that. Yeah, so, oh, okay. so you buy that, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's Mr. Lad told thing. me about it can, this. It can be the hotspot. It can be the. You can plug Ethernet into it, pull Ethernet out of it, make it the hotspot. Oh, I see. Yeah. All course, kinds yeah. of iffy things. And, uh, you know, comes with a cute little <laughs> short cable that hangs right up yeah. the back of your multi-pack and you're done. <laughs> so you then so, a cable from that into that, into your cartridge, basically. Yep. And then you yeah, have a wireless solution. Yep. And it comes, you know. Without having to write a bunch of extra drivers and stuff here, you just basically have yeah, to figure yeah. it right? Yeah. right. So it gets it going for now and we can work on our, our basic Ethernet stack and not really get distracted by yeah. Adding another layer of Wi-Fi protocols and stuff on top of it. Yeah, I picked something like that up for twelve dollars from Newegg a few months back. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought there might have been a uh, one of one of these little shields that you see on on the internet uh, that that you could basically build that into your cartridge and and right. tap off the Ethernet connections. Well, see, it's not that easy. All of that stuff wants to lean on the arm chip in the Raspberry Pi that it's shielding over, and we don't have that. Ah, I see. So. Right. Okay. Okay. Anyway, it, way, it, it's it's definitely making progress, and then much much kudos and thanks to Mikey for kind of driving the bus here, getting some of this little little uh, stuff working. Uh, I think he mentioned that Cad. He said that currently the code is not abstracted, currently hardware dependent. It could use refactoring, but I mean, this is just basically to make sure everything's working. <clears throat> and testing, you know, to make sure that we can get certain protocols uh, like ping, et cetera, working as well, too. So, I mean, this is early days, but definitely progress is being made. So He can start the card and set the time faster than I can type it in, even with all the cheats, you know, <laughs> spaces for delimiters and, you know. Yeah. I just press enter. If you're just firing up Nitrous 9 to play games or something, you don't really need to type in the time. Development-wise, though, I I keep track of different versions of stuff, and it's all time-based to make utility. Of course, if you're doing a large assembly program that has like 30 different files, you don't want to have to reassemble the whole darn thing every time. You, you, you only updated one or two. Date's critical for me. So whether it's done through an RTC or the software clock or through the, the Ethernet card, uh, you know, one of them has to work. <laughs> I have a, a dumb question, maybe, but um, does RSDOS, when it saves files, save a time when it was saved? Nope. Nope. 
Never has. Ados no, three nope, extended did. Ados three extended did. Okay, because I I thought I remember seeing that sometime somewhere. Yeah, Ados is the only one I know of. I don't think SDC DOS or HDB DOS or any of those do that either. I think only Ados Art Flexors DOS extension. That was one that. thing I always wish I'd have had when I was a kid because. Which version was the last one? Especially when you have like four discs that all just have a Radio Shack label. You forgot to write something on it. They're all the same program and you can't remember which is the latest one I did the bug fix on. Yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. And then another question is how did he get uh, the 40 column mode? Did Do you set it to 40 column mode and then boot um, the uh, Nitrous 9 up? Well, that's nitrous on level one, so that's booting in 32 column mode, like a Cocoa 1 and 2, because he's running it on a Cocoa 2. And then he's got a Cocoa VJ, and there's a special version of nitrous on that actually knows how to handle the Cocoa VJ, and they immediately kick you into 64 by 32 with lowercase. So can that be downloaded somewhere? Yep. It should be on the repo, I believe, right, David? I don't know, because after we did our fixes to make that stuff work, it got posted. I haven't touched it in what has it been three <laughs> years now? So could be there. Probably not. I yeah, I, I mean, at some point after version one of EOU's released, I'm actually going to go revisit that because I want to. I want to do some other additions. I was talking to Brendan about some ways of doing things, like some of the extra features he's added here. That the way the driver is currently set up, it it would be slow, and I we already kind of figured out a way to fix it. In fact, if he does some uh, changes to the firmware, the Coco VJ, I think we can speed up quite a bit. Well, and, doesn't and, well, it look? Doesn't it look really sweet in that uh, font? Well, we need to add palette support because then you don't have to do black on green. You can do like, you know, white on dark blue or something. Or yeah. something that's a bit easier on the eyes. So, yeah, there's definitely some plans of I, we have to add palette support and a few other things too. But uh, that was just enough to get it up and running. We zoom in the 639 optimized version, so it scrolls a lot faster too. So, Cool. But yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure it's on the repo. I just don't know if it's on the the publicly available main builds or is that one of the nightly builds that's been hanging around for three or four years or what? Well, the nightly builds, it should be a part of, there has not been a, an official release that I know of yet in a few years. So. Yeah. Mikey's even saying, he's not sure if it's on the repo, but I can post it if it's not, I know it's on the nightly builds because that's where I downloaded to test it out here when I finally got my Coco VGA. Cause I was doing it blind the first time you had to test it. Cause I didn't have the card to try it on. So. So Mike yeah. is on here somewhere. He's on the chat right now. Yeah. Oh, is he? Well, he did a great job. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's really impressive seeing this stuff working. Um, yeah. And, and like once once some of the more low level stuff's done, and Todd can start porting some of his drive wire based code, like his IRC chat, his weather reporter that we talked about a few weeks ago. Oh yeah. All that stuff will start working directly off this card too, and that software's pretty already done. You just got to change the the interface layer of it, that's it. The rest of it's done. So we'll get a sudden jump of programs available. Um, I'm thinking I'm thinking that under OS 9, there should be a like a drive wire shim type of thing that would make pretty much that transparent, at least to make it easier for the people to report their code. So. Yeah. I, I, like, I don't know enough what you guys are doing and how you guys are planning and setting up the drivers here. I mean, we definitely want some raw network driver stuff here that you can do everything. Because so, from my understanding, drive wire has got to, some limits. What? Yeah. What what my card needs is a memory manager for OS nine. Um, the way it's ring buffer and everything works, if you could abstract all of that away from the applications, it would make everyone's life so much easier. But I don't know who to talk to about that, or you know. 
Yeah, I, I mean, there's a couple couple ways to do it. You could do a raw driver. You could do a driver that interfaces with VRN because that handles memory mapping of 8K blocks across the entire 2 meg system. Um, you may even want to make a special version for the 8 meg board that uh, Ed Snyder's doing. And just like we were talking about what use do you have the 8 meg? Because it using 8 meg in Nitrous Nine itself as raw regular memory would break a lot of things because that goes past the 8-bit limit. So you'd have to redo all the maps and how the mapping processes works. And there'd be a ton of rewrites. You'd probably break some code outright, to be honest. Oh, we so we were thinking, those. like, you could use it as a RAM drive, right? That's what most people are doing, or maybe a sound sample or something. Now you could maybe use that extra six meg for a huge ring buffer for your, your network card. Well, so we could get really deep. There's another version of the WizNet chip that is just 16K direct addressable chunk of RAM. If you could drop that into a, an MMU map somewhere, wouldn't that be cool? Because, you know, you could dump the raw screen data into the into the WizNet and then just display it on the screen. And you're I would done. think, and you I would think a few bytes. <laughs> I would think drivers that would do streaming, like just opening a, a, a like a file and then just be able to pull data, push data right. uh, would be handy even under, uh, you know, standard uh, basic disk extended so, color basic. Yeah. Just so, be able to open a file. So yeah. the situation, the WizNet that we have right now can sit on four ethernet frames at a time and keep that connection alive. So they can be UDP frames, they can be TCP frames, it can be downloading data that you're working on, but it can sit the, keep those four frames alive for you. So we just have to get that 8K of data, 2K, 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 into the cocoa somehow and do something with it so we can move on. We don't have to worry about the ethernet connection or any of the network stuff. That's all just kind of taken care of. It's just handle this memory. So Yeah, so maybe base it on one of the RAM disk drivers, because that's basically what it is doing internally. Something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know enough to know what I need to do here, but that's our challenge. Um, yeah. Mikey's taking care of the network side of it with all of the socket code, but then how do we get the data out of the chip now that we've loaded it up? <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about Prevagen? <laughs> Prevagen, make your mind think. You know the oh, drug for your brain. Something I don't know. <laughs> I would have thought of that, but I forgot. Um, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> anyway, no, it's it's a really really cool uh, project. It's a collaboration of multiple people in the co-community, like Mark and Rick and and Mikey and others, have all been involved with this. Um, and it's it's definitely progressing at a pretty good pace. I mean, you demonstrated a very early version of Web Wrangler, what only a month ago, and then you've kind of been updating that, and and now we've got you know these other utilities. Todd Wallace, of course, has done some stuff that's currently using DriveWire, but he definitely wants to kind of join in the fun here too, and, and get some of his stuff running on it as well. So, well, lots of potential. Remember, I can remember back in the early days of uh, Coco Talk when the subject came up of uh, TCP/IP for the Coco or anything like you're talking about was probably out of the question, wasn't it, per, pretty much? Yeah, because we're going to do it in software. Now, that's, I would say it's out of the question. The K9Q project back in the late 80s actually had SLIP. It had FTP. It had SMTP and a bunch of the other protocols done. It required a 512 Kikoko. It was not easy to set up. Had some hard-coded <laughs> stuff for certain RS-232 packs, too, so like it didn't work with Rick's old 16550 card, the Fast 232. Uh, but it was working, and people were setting up Cocos with their own FTP servers live on the web and you know, sending mail back and forth and all kinds of stuff. Some stuff was done. 
it was a huge package though. It was, it was not ease of use for sure. It was like complete geek alert. Here you go. Have fun. Type of thing. This, this is getting to the point where like, like Rick's doing with his web wrangler, you can write a basic nine program. You don't have to get into assembly or C if you don't want to, and actually write something that works on the web and works on, on the internet. So I think that's the biggest potential here is this makes it so much easier for programmers to access. And then you can start writing, you know, games or, you know, IRC so, utilities or whatever. So to explain it to me, who, who doesn't understand this stuff, is basically you're offloading all the heavy work to a, a, a chip. Yeah, dedicated and, chip. Yep. And then you're just uh, accessing where you need to get the data to show it on the Coco. Yep, right. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. And sending from the Coco to the chip. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That pretty well sums it up. So it's four, pretty much four serial ports built into one, except network. That's do, I, do I win something? <laughs> yes. You get to be one of the beta testers later. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put WeFax on it. Hey. And Mikey's, before I go on the next story, Mikey's last comment is, yeah, no tech talk allowed here. What kind of show is this? Where's my 32-slot MPI? And then I was going to figure David Ladd's going to go off on that. So Nope. Nope. The, the the current way that all the bits are set up in the MPI's register, 16 slots. That's it. Mm. Well, you can plug two multipacks in together like uh, Daniel did that one show. Mm. Yeah, but, but the thing is, is still the first MPI sees that the other ones I don't think so. So therefore, you're still limited to the 16 slots in the first one. 16 slots. Wow. Uh, just multiplex them. <laughs> Who would ever use that many? Oh, I would, baby. I would. <laughs> you you need it for the 16, 16 sound cards. <laughs> There's not Perfect. that many sound cards, Nick. Just pull that not, one out of here. I can't go. At what point does the power supply spark out? <laughs> I think somebody should need your own power supplies plugged into the cards at this point. Oh, I was going to say, I, I have a three-phase power supply over here, so therefore I'm good. Paul Barton had uh, a large uh, PC power supply hooked up at one point with one of his computers because he was playing with all the controllers and stuff. Light sim. I think that's enough on network cards this week. <laughs> There'll be more updates <laughs> networks, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, getting back to the regular news here. So this one here is a video by Brenda Make and um, she's had a lot of stuff on her channel doing a lot of different hardware things over the years. She hasn't done too many videos lately because she's actually been ill, but she's she's back into it. So this video here, I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's almost three quarters of an hour long, but she got a Google 3, and then she got some upgrades for it. She got the 512K uh, Triad expansion. She got a Coco SDC, which she actually custom printed her own controller because she wanted it to look a lot more like the Radio Shack one, got custom labels made, um, then got the SCART cabled upgrade because it was kind of hard reading the composite type thing, and then fired up uh, Nitrous 9, uh, the stock 3.3 repo, to go through some... Um, in basically nine shell inception, I think is the best way to describe it. But it's, it's a pretty interesting video just going through some of the stuff that she's done. So I'll just play a little bit of the intro and then I'll fast forward a little bit. So this is the computer as pretty much as received, except for the feet in the bottom, and I'll show you that. Um, the computer is in amazing condition, and um, there's only the slightest of, of, of polishing on, on the... Uh, on the little the little base of the, the handrest here, 
Um, so it's been used a little bit, but not that much. It looks like it has maybe a month or two months worth of use or something like that. And this so she, she got a really decent quality, you know, Cocoa 3 that she got. And then here she's got the Cocoa SDC. And let's go to her 3D printed. However, I wanted something that looked a little bit more like the old FD502s. The original case that somebody made was a good case in that everything was um, on the end here and it all really worked well and it fitted on the case. And um, and um, I don't know if you can see, but there's little slots there and the, the, the Cocoa SDC slides in there and there's a little tapped hole. And there's a little notch here for the, um, you know, so it can go into the cartridge. Um, but what I wanted, I wanted something that looked like the old um, FD-502 like I had. And um, so I came up with this. And so, firstly, the crush of all your expectations, uh, like Nerd Rage says, um, um, this is not an easy 3D print. Because if you 3D print this, um, you need support material. And that su support material should only go up to about here if you print it this way. Then you need something fine like a precision screwdriver to put to to carefully push all the uh, support material out of these holes and stuff. Uh, if you have a 3D printer that spans really well, that's that'd be great. Um, and you probably don't need support material uh, except for right here. But um, this does overhang, and I think you'll need support for this. But if your printer does spans well, you might not need support here. Um, the way I printed it, um, um, this particular one is printed with ABS instead of enclosed, um, uh, like an enclosed um, like chamber and stuff. And the print quality was pretty good, and um, I sanded it lightly and buffed it out lightly. And then, oddly, I took some Comet and actually toned it down so it wasn't so shiny. Um, you might be, as long as your computer doesn't get too warm and stuff, you might be able to get away with making this out of PLA which is a lot easier to print. Um, um, I don't think that this gets that warm in use. So you could probably use PLA. I wanted something really- Yeah, I don't recall uh, the SDC itself getting warm at all, really, running. No. Yeah, when she talks about the label, it kind of shows putting it together. Uh, initially fired it up. Um, then she takes it apart to put in the triad upgrade. Gets it up and running. Does the memory test by- uh, is that Richard Gordekin? I think is the last name. I can't remember. The one that all of us use for testing to right. make machines. And the SCART cable, she got the upgrade for that because she was getting some more patterns and, you know, it's, it's kind of fuzzy on composite. So she got that up and running. Um, and then she did my favorite part, which I got to show because it's Nitrous 9 and I know we'll bug Nick that I'm going to dwell on this for a while. So. <laughs> Basic 09 and OS 9. Uh, it's a kind of an OS 9 nested doll. This is going to be fun. This is the inception thing. I'm going to start Basic 09. And it's loaded. I'm going to make a test procedure. And this is not going to have much in it. And we can see we've got something named test with 32, 32 byte process um, size, which is probably the, the name, the string name. I don't know why it's a data size. Maybe. Who knows? I'm not going to speculate. Um, anyway. And I, I can go over here and uh, to hit, uh, hit clear, and I hit um, and go over here and do a process. See what process they're running. And we've got two shells, one here and one here, with basic 09 running. 
And uh, from here, I can type a, a type a dir command from here, and it basically it forks kind of a temporary temporary just a temporary thing a command and executes it. But I'm still back. I'm still in the basic program, and um, but there was a mnemonic that you can you could t I think it'll work with the with the command shell. But this is more fun. You just type curly braces, which basically makes a shell. And a forks in another shell. We go over here and do process again, and we can see we have three shells now, as well as the process command at the bottom and basic 09, which is actually it's kind of it's probably it's probably sleeping right now, I guess. And you could do stuff. You can do chd. Uh, actually, let's we'll go over here. So we have um, uh, chd sys, and uh, I moved over to sys, and. Um, so now let's start basic 09 inside this shell. And um <laughs> so um e let's see test two, right? And we'll quit out of this, right? And so we got test two. Now what do we have going? And it's it's starting to grow. Okay. And from here, let's start another shell. Uh, I, I think this will work. I think it's shell. Okay, we start another shell. What do we have going now? We better check the memory. Ah, it's 312K. There's a way to put two megabytes of memory in one of these systems by replacing the gimme chip. Um, anyway, let's uh, soldier on. So <laughs> so I'm in, I'm, I'm in basic. I'm in basic. Um, actually, I was, in, I was in the shell. I started basic. I started another shell inside of that. Started basic. Started another shell of that. That's where I am. And um, and where are we? We can go. Um, we're going to Brenda CHD. Uh, oops, sorry. Not the this isn't the best keyboard. Okay. Um, I could go on. I go on. This is my own drawing, drawing program. I, re, I submitted to, or parts of it that I submitted to Rainbow Magazine some 30 years ago. It got rejected because they already had another drawing program. We'd know which one. Um, anyway, so this could go on for quite some time. Let's see. Uh, okay, so um, so I'm in DD Brenda, and um, this this has got a modified. Um, more or less a modified shell that gives you your present working directory. What shell you are, which is 09, that's this, your ID, and um, and which window you're running on. Um, to kill this, so so I'm going to see, Brenda, to kill this, basically to collapse the shell, you type X. And now I'm back into basic 09, and I still have test 2. And... Uh, it should be slightly less here, and we should have some uh, M3. We should have some more memory. And I won't go through the whole thing, but basically it's forking a shell that's forks basic 9, that forks a shell that forks basic 9, that forks a shell that forks basic 9, all off one window. And then you can kind of step your way back through it all. So it's like a stack of programs. Totally useless, but kind of fun. What's coming but to it that can conclusion be done. here? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, uh, Daniel O'Connor has actually has been working on a new album called Coco Music, and this is kind of uh, how best describe it, sort of ambient electronic music type thing, like a Jean-Michel Jarry type thing. And uh, 
she actually wrote a program here that actually is controlling some of the synthesizers and the sequencers here. And this is kind of a, a pre-release version of this one particular song. And it's a long one because it's the stuff you want kind of running in the background, doesn't have singing, et cetera, so that you can concentrate what you're doing becomes background music. Um, so this track's like 15 minutes long, and this is not the final version of it, but I thought I'd play a little bit of it here because it's actually kind of cool that the Coke was controlling this. This is a Coke one, two, not a not a three. So it's not even that big of a program, you know. And she has some manual playing over top of it too, but the sequencing of the percussion stuff's all being done by the Coco. She doesn't give us a copyright strike for this. If you're a fan of that style of music, that's kind of a preview of what her, her Coco-based album is coming out is going to be like. And it's also the type of music that I used to listen to back in the day. Because if I hear music that is singing, I end up singing along and then I end up typing the lyrics into my code and stupid things like that. So I kind of got off that. That's when I started listening to a lot of instrumental music because um, it was less distracting. But it still gives you something to keep your brain kind of running, you know, processing the type thing instead of just sitting I thought I was the only one. I know like, I, I totally agree with you exactly yeah you start singing along with the lyrics don't need lyrics yeah and people start questioning your code because they suddenly see like an ozzy osbourne lyric coming up in the middle of you know some adventure game you're trying to type in so yeah <laughs> but anyway it's 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 really good for that kind of background music type thing and it's actually very well done um and as she kind of mentioned in the comments that this is kind of like just the the basic tracking she's planning on adding more to the final stuff when she gets the actual album out. So this is like the simplified version of it. And it's, it's like a Jean-Michel Jarry thing where it's, it's, it's layers of stuff that doesn't totally distract your brain with speaking and singing. So I'm a big fan of that type of music. So I'm definitely going to be considering getting our album when the whole thing comes up. Hey, cause we haven't had enough OS nine stuff today. Um, Dave Waynes, he's originally with Sardis technologies in the 1980s. So they were the ones that sold the, uh, Performance peripherals controller that sold the MSF file manager and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, he managed to find some old disks and manuals for the CSG IMS Clearbrook uh, Software Group IMS database, which was one of the more powerful database systems for OS 9 or for the Cocoa for that matter. Um, I think the only one that might have been more powerful than this was Sculptor. And uh, he actually has scanned in the manuals now. You can actually download them. There's a couple here. Uh, mm. The different documentation, like the reference guides, the main thing itself. Um, he found some of the uh, OSK versions of this too, the reference documentation here too. And he's trying to find the disk image. He's just put the disk image itself. So if you actually want to try out the database with the manuals to go with it, you can. Um, and he actually mentions here, he used it to build a custom accounting package for general ledger and inventory uh, for Sardis when it was still running as an actual business selling cocoa stuff. Um, and I think he's trying, trying to find some of the OSK version stuff now because it was a much you know more powerful under a full 32-bit chip type thing. 
but the fact he's found this, he's going to be putting up the archive uh, too. But I think he wanted to try. He wants to try to get the complete package, the OSK, the OS9 version, all the manuals, everything else, and some tutorials because it's not the easiest program to learn. It's a powerful database. It's not you know a little wimpy one. Uh, but he does plan on putting it in the archive eventually too. But for now, if you want to kind of experiment with it, you can come and grab them right off here. He even points to some reviews. There was a review from the OS9 newsletter in Bellingham, Washington. And this is actually the whole, the headquarters, I guess, of the Pacific Northwest Cocoa Fest. I think it was called back in the 90s. No, Bill Noble went to one of them. West Gale attended. Chris Burke was there and a bunch of others, too. And then a review in 68 Microjournal. So a bit of historical stuff there. And also, if you want a really powerful database with, with documentation, there you go. Next up, and this is the David Ladd special part of the show. So... Uh, Ooh. I've got to go uh, now. <laughs> just just mute and have a nap, Nick. Um, I, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name right, so my apologies to him if I'm butchering it, but Lyserge S. Diefel. Um, a little work in progress to add the Cocoa 123 uh, JVC MFM format. Now, JVC, I think, is the nickname for one of the emulator formats, isn't it? Isn't that bad, Jeff Avasur? Um, Well, JVC, if you don't have the header on it, it's basically just a flat image, just the raw sectors, one sector after another. It's like the .img for PCs. Um, it's the disk images that you use on the SDC every day. It's the floppy disk, the .dsks that you use on MAME or VCC or XROR. As long as there's no special header or, you know, special track data hidden in there and it's just the raw sector data that's what a jvc is okay and um because i was poking through the code just looking through it and um that's all it looks like it's doing he's added a section to it so that it uh is 18 sectors single-sided um interesting enough he has it set for 40 track instead of 35 um, but which is still perfectly acceptable because with the grease weasel, <sighs> what it does is it's just empty. Nick, you forgot to mute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have been on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, um, yeah, this will make it easy because otherwise, when the grease weasel first came out, the only disk image format it supported was that the dot um, SCP which was a raw flux level format that was for the CBM stuff, which I think was Commodore related. Um, but um, I've been using the HXC floppy drive emulator tools to convert from SCP to like .MFM so that I could use it with MAME and other fun stuff like that. So this but, is basically taking the existing software that the grease wheels using for reading like these raw images, et cetera, and then adding some extra capabilities so that I can actually handle like uh Yeah, it just makes others. it right. It just makes the single-sided JVC compatible flat raw sector dump, and then you can write it back as well, which is great because then you don't need to do any conversion with other utilities later. Um, so one, one purpose of this for a more general purpose besides floppy nerds like yourself um, is if you, if you have some old co cocoa copy protected discs for example the grease weasel is capable of actually reading those 
cover yes, protection. Yes, but JVC tax. won't have that though, because JVC is just the raw sectors. Um, so not not that, the raw raw sector, just the raw data on the sector. Not the, right, right. What what you're thinking about is when you want copy protection, you want the raw track data, which includes all the gap data, all CRCs the CRCs and all that other stuff. Right, uh, because with copy protected stuff. Um, there's many things that could be done, changing sector numbers, you know, um, yeah, like jumping to sector 99 or something. And when you've only got 18 right. sectors per track, yeah. Um, or doing the normal sector one through 18, and then you hide an extra sector because there's actually enough room. If you change the gap following the Western digital specification, there's enough room. If you shrink, shrink the gap, and I've tested this, you can actually squeeze an, a 19th sector onto the disk by shrinking the gap by specification. Um, and you can go beyond that and do 20 like we've done on that one uh, format. Yeah, for yeah, that's right. But that's throwing specification out the door. That's changing the specification values. A whole it bunch works, of so I'm, I'm accepting that as, as proper. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this... This, if if you wanted the raw track data in a format that we we could use with like uh, VCC or DSDC, we would need the DMK and the SDF disk image formats added as well. Yeah, because DMK and, is the David Keel emulator was the first one to do this, but it's actually the raw track format you're talking about that MAME and VCC use, and then SDF is the equivalent for the Cocoa SDC, if I remember correctly. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that's what we would need because when I'm using the SDC and I'm doing the 20 sectors per track that we did way back in the day, I actually have to use an SDF disk image because, well, you need the, the that to emulate the whole entire track stuff because otherwise the JVC, he only does the 18 sectors, period. So Okay, okay. That's that part I wasn't clear on. So, yeah. So, you know, that, but this is a great starting point for just the standard stuff. Copy protected or special format disk images? Not yet. We need the DMK and SDF added, which would be nice. Which, if you scroll down and look at my comments, you might actually see I mentioned you. You commented on this? I'm so surprised. <laughs> Oh, he's even got the ooh. You can even hear that in your head you know, properly there when you. <laughs> mm. So, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I see the host of the Color Computer Archive says, nice, just bought one. Yep, and I even replied to that one. <laughs> yeah, this is right in your wheelhouse, I think, is what we're trying to say here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um Yep. And of course, this was my first experience when I was making these bloop or the the F1 series grease weasels. That was my first experience with the STM fake blue pills. Darn Chinese. Oh, there were some like scammers of these going around. Well, well, it's um the way the the original grease weasels were, they used a uh, experimental board called the blue pill. Well, they had an STM 
32F103 chip. I, if I remember right, the part number off offhand, it, it it's, Dash you know, 03. I don't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Chinese were using fake chips and putting them on those. And I had like a good 20 or 30 boards that came in that, yeah, they, they failed the tests. So I was trying to figure out why the grease weasels weren't working. And the guy that made the firmware had a test uh, firmware that you could put on it and it would go through the testing, the DMA controllers and all that nice stuff. And I'd tell you, nope, failed, nope, failed. So every single one of those, those, those blue pills I got had fake chips. All right, so buyer beware is what we're saying there. Well, that's just the blue pill. I had to actually, through uh, Mauser, buy official chips and replace the chips. Again, my first experience with uh, replacing surface mount microcontrollers. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's a cool project, I think, is what you're trying to say as a summary. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, 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 w- I was looking at it. Um, I'm thinking of adding my own flavor to it, like the JVC 20 and JVC 40. And and if you're going to ask why JVC 40, well, high density, high de- I'm guessing. Yeah. Yes, high high density instead of 20 sectors per track, it's 40 per track. So, <laughs> and just for those who are not you know geeks from the 80s and 90s here that went through a lot of this stuff back in the day, one thing we did uh, as a patch to OS 9 and Nitrous 9 is that if you take the gaps out between sectors, you can actually fit 20 sectors per track instead of the normal 18. So what does that actually get you? Well, with the right format command, then OS 9 would actually give you more space in your disks. So if you had, say, a three and a half inch 720K 80 track drive normally, that exact drive just by changing this one program would suddenly give you 800K. And a uh, 360K double-sided five and a quarter, which Tandy actually sold with the FD502s, suddenly becomes a 400K drive. So it gives you a fair bit of extra storage. Um, and if you couldn't afford hard drives at the time, you wanted to you know, get the most out of your floppies, it would do give you you know, a certain percentage increase of space on no matter what floppy. Even if you had a 35-track single-sided, you got extra. If you got a 40-track single-sided, you got extra. 40-track double-sided, I know the top of my head went from 180K to a 200K per disk. So you basically got free storage for nothing um, just by changing a program or two. So that uh, we used to do our backups at work with this because we were backing up a 40 meg drive and an 80 meg drive. And that takes a lot of floppies. Um, and when you can fit 800K, actually we did more than that because we actually did extra tracks too. But basically you'd get 800K out of a 720K disc. And some people had said, you know, that's out of the specs of the Western Digital Controller. You might have problems. We backed up using that system for 10 years straight and had no problems aside from the regular, you know, get a floppy disc that you can't even format eventually because it's wore out. That was the only problems we had. It was reliable. We actually restored backups off that thing numerous times. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very yeah, reliable. So anybody has physical floppy drives and is running Nitrous 9 and wants to get some extra storage out of them for backups purposes or whatever, I would definitely recommend doing that. Yeah, and, and thanks to you, Curtis, back in the day, pointing that out. One of the things I did is I disassembled the format 20 command, found all of the, the how the track was supposed to be laid out, I then added that as a special option to the official format command and then added an extra option so that the official command can actually generate that special track if you need it. 
And yep. it's in the repo. And I think it should be on the EOU as well. I think we did put it there because we originally it found the old format 20, which was a special version. So we had two format commands, but you made one master one that can do both. But yeah, no, it, it's definitely worth it. If you're still using physical floppies or have been interested in doing so, it's, it's a way to get some extra storage for free. I should point out, here is half of my old hard drive backup. Yeah. So yeah, a couple more sectors per track would have been really handy. Oh, it, it helped. Trust me. We we did the oh. first years where the backups using the standard 720, and then we went to 82 track plus 20 sectors per track. We we're getting 840k per disk instead, and that you know it cut down the number of disks by 10, 12 percent. I mean, it was it was huge. It took less time. We had less time swapping and whatever else. It was just much easier all the way around. Of course, yeah, now you just, just have an SDC and you just carpet up your SD card on your PC or whatever. But <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that when I had my uh, 26-3022 floppy controller, it was modified for high density. So I was doing, you know, instead of 800K, I was doing 1.6 meg. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, <laughs> that 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 was a nice space. And also being able to boot off of it was also nice. Yeah, because I mean you could have a full, you know, set of commands and everything right off the bat, just like you're running off a hard drive, but running it off a floppy if you couldn't afford a hard drive. So oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) And now that we've covered Nick's most exciting part of the show. (laughs) And thanks, David, for coming on to help explain. No problem. (laughs) What what's a floppy disk? Oh, please don't get him started. <laughs> we'll be here. Well, Nick, now that you've asked. I'm going to shoot you, Nick, after the show here for that. No, I'm kidding. Let's continue, please. <laughs> there, on to something a bit better. So, uh, Ken, ah. is there a clip of this you want me to play or run in the background while you kind of explain what this is? Oh, not really. It was uh, just... <laughs> Just run it in the background, I guess. Okay, I will mute it. So, um, yeah, so this is the second part of my Cocoa Trip video. Um, I started from basically when we had supper on Sunday night to mine and Curtis's marathon drive all the way back to home. And then I uh, went into what I picked up on my way home on top of all the stuff that I got at Coco Fest. So some uh, pretty nice stuff I got there as well as the stuff I picked up at Coco Fest. So. Yeah. Cause here we have, we were at the Amigos. And this was at the end of our 40 hours straight. Yeah. <laughs> now you got some cool pictures. I think I want to show here of the inside of, of the Amigo studios here. Like you can oh, see. Yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that you'll be seeing at BoatFest if you decide to attend BoatFest, which is actually only in two weeks. Um, and you can see a little blurb of it in the lower left corner there. <clears throat> well, that's a retro gaming uh, thing. It's the very first one these guys are sponsoring. So they're bringing down 30 different consoles and, and computers, and they're going to have live play on all of them so people can join in. They're going to have a virtual pinball machine set up. Um, there's going to be live taping of all of their shows. So there'll be a live Coco show. I'm going to see if I can pop into Coco Talk that Saturday and do some live show floor uh, streaming from there as well. I think the Coco show is scheduled for a bit later in the afternoon. It should be after Coco Talk's done. So you guys can actually just pop on over and say hi. And I think it's Donkey Kong Jr. this week, if I remember correctly. 
not one of my favorites, which I'll talk about when we get on the show. But. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had a rather interesting experience with Google Maps, too, I think you mentioned. Uh, yes. Um, when I was driving back between Saskatoon and Calgary, um, it took me on roads like this. Basically, uh, I drove 450 kilometers without passing a, another a town or anything. And, yeah, and it took uh, you down like gravel roads. You yeah, can it took see me down single lane bridges. And, <laughs> like it just took me into the middle of nowhere saying, oh, yeah, this way is the fastest. Well, it took me an hour longer than my normal longer way. So, Did you ever fear for your life at any time? Um, at one point I completely lost cell service for about 20 minutes. So I was just guessing on where I was going from that point on. What was the gasoline situation? (laughs) Fortunately, I was driving a little Prius, so it got really good gas mileage. If I had been driving my old truck, I never, I would have ran out of gas gas, because there was no gas station. Halfway through. Yeah. Yeah. It was 450 kilometers. There's one town I passed and I think it had two houses and a grain bin. And then here you've got, this is the hall you went in BC and actually picked up from yeah. a fan of your channel, right? Yeah. He sold me some stuff at a very, very reasonable price. So, uh-huh. so I got a couple of black beauty joysticks and box, a Tandy cut. Uh, um, and you've got the both the original Cocoa one and two single button and the Cocoa three double button ones there too. Yep. Yeah. The uh, TRS-80 single button needs a little bit of work, but I think I can steal some parts off my uh, um, PC Junior joystick to fix that. And I think some of those parts you can 3D print to or can get somebody to 3D print for you. Too. Oh, no, 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 no. These sticks work way too, work their plastic way too hard. Oh, okay. And the one non-tandy thing I picked up was a Commodore US-8 um, calculator, which... Yeah, Taylor and Amy were quite happy you picked this up. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Did it, you get uh, the disk drive for it? That's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten this particular model has an interesting history that I'm going to make a video about. And then there was my uh, Ben O games. Yeah, this was a pretty good haul. And manuals included. Yeah, and all the manuals for the mm. all the games that are in there. So. Now we just have and to teach you to read manuals before you play games. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Mark. And the obligatory mega bug. I think there's a couple of mega bugs in there. Oh, there's two of them. Yeah. Yeah, there's quite there's a few doubles there. I saw lines. like um, yeah, mega bug was, was double. There was um, that's a life stash. Yeah. That is a stash. Was there a spectrum analyzer in there? Yeah. Uh, do you have the new one, maybe, or the old one? That would be interesting to find out. <laughs> Well, it's sitting at my uh, place in BC, so I can't look mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> and then I picked up this. Tandy and what 1000. is this for those, uh, especially on the audio? Tandy 1000 TL with a CM5 RGB monitor and the Tandy Deluxe keyboard. I figure I could steal that door and swap the label. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 that's the reason I bought it. It had yeah. a door on it. <laughs> Spent a thousand dollars on that setup. You can get a new door for a CM8. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have no idea what you. Actually, I don't you think don't the CM5 and either, the so. CM8 wouldn't wouldn't work because the CM5 is a smaller monitor. 
Oh, okay. That's that's funny actually because the the CM8 is a bit smaller. It's a thirteen inch or twelve inch. I can't remember what is it exactly. Oh well, maybe the CM5 is a twelve. I thought the CM5 was about a twelve or thirteen inch. So maybe it's the same. <laughs> I, I know the, the CM8 is smaller than a Magnavox eighty five fifteen, which is a fourteen inch. And the Amiga monitor was a fourteen inch. So that I, I know the CM8 is a bit smaller. It's thirteen, I think, or twelve and a half or something. Again. Hey, check out the uh, whole video, and it, it talks a bit more about the driving. He's got some better pictures of stuff we drove by. And, and Mark, yeah. I was what just going to say, Jeff172 says that Google Maps now defaults to the most fuel-efficient route. Ah, yes, the most fuel-efficient route, the ones that will completely run you out of fuel. No gas stations at all. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, you know what? I would say that it was a way less fuel-efficient uh, route because I was driving – probably up and down a lot more hills than I was in the route I usually take. And the route I usually take, you just uh, have a speed that you go just one straight speed. You're not speeding up and slowing down constantly. Like I think I've probably hit about 75 stop signs also on that. Cause every time I was going off one highway onto another, I had to stop and get going again. So I would if say you were, if you're on a road, like you were showing pictures of. Yeah. Would you really stop at the stop sign? When there's absolutely we're no we're traffic. Canadians, so we're polite it's enough. Canada. We'll stop just in case there's a moose crossing or something. Yeah. And well, run the stop it's signs. Five. Sorry. There's this there's the stop signs, but there's also the complete 90 degree corners that you have to take. And you're not going to be going highway speed to go around those. I think I figured out how it's the most fuel efficient, though, because once you run out of gas, you have to hitchhike, and that's pretty well free, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I would Does say five couches. Just <laughs> I don't think people. You uh, didn't see civilization. Never mind. I didn't couches. see civilization. There was no uh, houses or couches. This was it. Someone has been here. They built a bridge, but they're yeah. gone now. <laughs> yeah, but that was this back was, in 1895, and nobody's been there since. This was just outside the one town that I passed that was a grain elevator and two houses. Well, there looks like a grain bin over there on the left side. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Weeds. And a little oil thing in the right, if you can barely see it on the horizon up top there. Oh, yeah. oil rig. But this looks this looks like Drumheller. Like, this is like the bandlands of Drumheller. Yeah, is this I'm, where I'm, you work? Uh, I'm, what am I? I'd be, I don't know about... 40 miles east of Drumheller here. Okay. Mark so Siegel in the chat says you don't need gas stations. No one can afford gas anyway. So it's- yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, the, the pump's at the top of the hill there. Just, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> tap in and go. <laughs> I have to say the bridge looks like it got rebuilt recently, though. That looks like no, pretty fresh lumber. It's, it's pretty old. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> it's one of the ones that when Looks you're going like across steel. it, you can see the boards in front of you flip up a little bit when you hit them. <laughs> <laughs> one of those. <laughs> Don't slow down. <laughs> it's like a ramp. You just hit it really fast and you clear it and then you'll make it across the river. Well, the bridge is perfectly fine for my cart and wagon as a horse. <laughs> but, but but as a kind of a side note on this, I mean, this is something that we were arguing with some people at Cocoa Fest that people are saying, you know, Google Maps is better than Apple Maps or vice versa. And I think it's actually dependent on where you are. Because for me in Canada, I've had the same experience. Google Maps sucks. It Well, if, doesn't... It, def- if it defaults to the most fuel efficient, which it thinks is the shortest way would be the most fuel efficient, it's going to take you down some real crap roads like this. Yeah, where you run out of pavement, literally. Yeah, like I drove, I think I drove about 50 miles on gravel roads here. Like, 
Right. Yeah. This is like the Oregon Trail too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is Oregon Trail in real life at this point. Yeah. They have a little graveside uh, on that pit on the right there that says, you know, he died of dysentery. So. Yep. <laughs> Except this is British Columbia Trail. Oh, this is Alberta, I think. Still, this it? is Alberta. Yeah. But he's going to British Columbia, so yeah. it's British Columbia Trail. Oh yeah, I, I see. What you yeah, mean. okay. Oregon was the destination, Sorry. not true, the fifteen true. areas you went through to get there. Uh, as long as you're nervous. getting here on this map here, you might be ending up in Oregon. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Just have to take the Southern Pass. Yeah, but but like I've like I said, like I, at least in my area, I, I know Apple Maps does tend to work better. There are places in the states where Google Maps definitely did work better. So maybe it's just you know regional who's got the most up to date stuff or the best algorithms for a certain area. I don't know what it is, but neither of them are perfect and neither of them are totally trash. But yeah, well, I, I had the same experience. This particular route that it sent me on was about forty five miles shorter than the route I usually take, but took me more than an hour longer than it usually takes me. So right. Yeah, so it completely failed. Tires. Mm-hmm. I like Rocky Hills comments here. It says, first of all, I think I saw this bridge on Ancient Aliens, <laughs> and then two, beautiful and remote. It's like the start of a murder movie. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, thanks for the idea. <laughs> it felt like it a couple of times. <laughs> I have to ask you one last question before we go on to the next. Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Is that a guy with a chainsaw over there? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like the team speaker regulars. Um, that's a joke for David. I, I, one question I have to ask you before we go on to the next story here is uh, your your mom was with you on this trip. So what did she think yeah. of Google Maps uh, guiding you around? Um, she was actually driving when we hit this gravel road. She pulled over immediately and said, you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where we're going, but you're driving. No, we are, man. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's 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 really lucky you. We don't have uh, Cocoa Fest in wintertime, or yeah. you may not have made it. Exactly. Now, Mark Siegel's asking: Is this was this a two lane bridge? And no, this is a single no, lane. This so was single lane. It was barely wider than my car, and I was driving a little Prius. So, yeah, like this. Actually, this road that I'm on here. If you met another vehicle, you'd have to drop at least two tires well over onto the uh, grass. Oh, before the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've hit a couple of these back in the olden days. Like, I don't even know too many of these in Saskatchewan are still around the single ones. I do remember the, like the boarded ones where the boards flip up and down as you're driving over the thing. Yeah. You figure it's going to collapse at any moment. That was but this I, one. Yeah. And on the the BC highway up to the Alaska highway up to Alaska and BC has a few spots like that, I think, still too. But yeah, but that, that was just bridge. insane that that's what Google Map picked for you. Yep. And it was the only route that it gave me. It didn't give me any alternatives. <laughs> well, once you're on it, there's no other road to get onto. So, well, that's true. But go ahead, Rick. No, I was just saying, three thousand miles. This looks good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're so overtired by this point, you won't care. I'll just send you wherever I feel like it will last. Stop worrying. You, you made it home. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, as soon as I got past this uh, bridge here, it's like complete switchbacks going up the side of the uh, hills there. <laughs> Did you so at least see some dinosaur bones? Because that's what they're kind of famous for in drum hour. At least that no, would have made not, it worthwhile. Not in this area. I think I saw some live dinosaurs. <laughs> this is the land that time forgot. Nobody's been there since. <laughs> so you ran, out of pavement. you ran out of pavement. Did any time you run out of gravel too? 
No, actually, <laughs> they were fairly well-maintained gravel roads or just not very driven on gravel roads because there was a lot of slippery gravel. If you ever got up above 40 kilometers an hour, your vehicle started just kind of swishing on the gravel. Yeah, really loose, not packed down. Might like a good yeah. road. So anyway, it sounds like you had an exciting trip back. You got a lot of cool stuff and you just about got lost forever. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Without phone service. Yeah, that would have been scary. Like, like I mentioned to you on the trip because you were wondering why I had an old, you know, ratchety, a big atlas, roadmap atlas. And that's because I have hit areas where, you know, a cell phone tower got damaged in a tornado or something. Or, And if you're totally dependent on electronic maps and you're hitting a whole bunch of intersections, you've got a turn to come up. You're screwed. You have absolutely no idea where to go if you don't have cell phone access. So always carry that as a backup. I mean, it's 20 years old. There's probably some highways that have changed or maybe even been rerouted. But at least I'll be able to find my way onto something I recognize and I can still get to where I'm going. So that will stay in my car till I die. Definitely point taken. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one of the things that I sometimes do too, Curtis, is that um, every few years I go to Walmart and get an updated road atlas. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you never know. But yeah, Google I've, Maps, I don't know about the Apple Apple Maps one, but I know Google Maps, there's an option that you can download maps in specific areas where you plan on going, so you can actually have it pre-download. Yeah, but those who areas to do that? Mm-hmm. Those who doesn't want to get stuck in the middle of nowhere without a way to find their way home. <laughs> Well, I can actually tell you that I will never use Google Maps again without downloading the map. I have a Garmin in the car, too. Buy yourself a drone. You can always just send it ahead of you and just follow a road, and then you work out beforehand if you're going to get lost. (laughs) Until the drone itself gets lost because the GPS doesn't work. <laughs> I do like the Garmin idea. What if they had satellites in the sky that you could consult from any time <laughs> in any place? Starlink. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy Rick. talk, Rick. Crazy talk, <laughs> Rick. That's a good idea. Getting the time from the 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 GPS satellites because they send time in the data stream. Sounds perfect. <laughs> anyway, back to the news. Okay. <laughs> that was a fun little side trip there, literally. Okay, so next up, we've got Color Computer Programming, who does his color computer tutorials. This particular video is just a quick one. It's not a tutorial. He just wanted to show some of the animations you can do in the in basic and the semi-graphic screen. So he's got some text moving around, some little color logos kind of flipping around here, too. So. Um, I'm sure he'll do a follow-up explaining how to do it. But he's doing like these beginner tutorials, so it's just kind of showing you some things you can fiddle with. This one here I just discovered this morning. Actually, I sent this to Nick, too, because one thing, I'm I'm it's not really good. good at doing computer sound. Um, I didn't really understand a lot of how it worked, and Nick's had to explain many, many things over the years here to me because I'm kind of stupid at it. But uh, Chibi Akumas, we've covered before because he's actually got 6809 and Dragon Copa specific programming in his latest book. I think uh, some of the people in the show here actually have his books too. I know Alan Murphy does. Um, but this is a video that he's done on basic sound concepts as far as how to do computer programmable sound, what the different waveforms mean, how they work, how peak and amplitude work, uh, volume, pitch, etc. But he's explaining it so that it's not computer 
a specific computer that it's designed for or a certain sound chip that's designed for. He does cover some of that. <clears throat> but this is going through the basics of explaining what the terminology is and how sound works as far as computer generates. So explains what a sawtooth is, and then he gives an example of to play it and goes through, you know, PCM and AV PCM and a bunch of other things. So if you want a tutorial and you want to learn how to do machine language sound and how it works at a low level, uh, but also how to translate it from music to, to this, uh, to programming and back and forth. This is a really good tutorial video. I, I, Nick, I think you actually got a chance to check some of the video. What did, what did you think that you actually know? Yeah, it was, very, it was pretty good. Yeah. It doesn't get much into the programming of it all, but it tells you the basic concepts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I never got. Like I could probably program it, but I didn't understand how it works. So programming didn't really help. I, I had that missing piece in the middle. And this, this yeah. actually is a pretty good, decent way of uh, teaching you that type of stuff. So, and he's done some other parts related to this where he shows you like on a one bit sound system like the Spectrum has or the Apple II has. Like, here's how you try to do it. And then, you know, on the Dragon and the Cocoa Way to 6 bit DAC. And then he gets into some of the AY chips and, you know, some of the more advanced stuff and kind of give you the difference between them all. But it really gives a good explanation of how sound works. If you want to see like a chart and audacity and understand what the hell it's actually showing you, this is a good tutorial for it. Highly recommend it. Here's uh, Jim Gary being a little bit less serious than normal. It's not a new game. It's not a new program. <clears throat> he took an old ad, I'm guessing, from one of the old Tier City companies back in the day and kind of just jiggered the text with Photoshop a bit here to make it an ad for his stuff uh, for the MC10. So um, I think this might have originally been, I'm not sure what company this was. I do recognize the ad somewhat. It might have been uh, Kelly Software Services or something like that at Edmonton because uh, they used to do a lot of Tier City and, and Cocoa stuff. Um, but uh, he actually has some of his own games listed there, like at, you know, Atari Adventure and BattleBots and Berserk and Closeout. He's even got some ones by other people in the MC10 community, like uh, Dropship by Darren Ottery and Free Cell by Christian Hoffman, which you can actually go get uh, for the MC10. So he's kind of made a fake MC10 ad because uh, the MC10 never really had many advertisements. It didn't last long enough to really get its own market going. There's actually been more development in the last two or three years in the MC10 than I think there ever was before that. There's, there's new games coming out. Simon's working on porting Paul's games, so. He needs to remove the Model 4 and put an MC10 on there. Well, he was kind of keeping the original text, the ad above, where it says the Model 1, the 3, the color computer, et cetera. He needs to add MC10 there somewhere, though. Yeah. Okay, we got a couple updates from John Whitworth. <clears throat> now, this is the one we covered uh, last week where he actually got diagnosed with cancer, and he's actually been out with chemo and stuff. And he's the guy who's been working on the Dragon Beta. And he also runs Dragon Plus Electronics. And because of the fact he's still in actively in treatments, he's basically not going to be selling completed, you know, package stuff anymore. He's only going to be selling kits. Um, so this is kind of a bit of an update. He's actually got some of the kits up on his site now. Um, I've actually brought that page up here. So that's the uh, power supply unit, which apparently is something on the Dragon actually does go fairly often. The Dragon Plus board kit, which is a period correct 80 column card from back in the day. And then the Super, Super Sprite FM Plus that works in the Coco and the Dragon, which we've covered numerous times on the show here with the Sprite engine and the, the sound chip and everything else built into it with a couple of different options. So he's actually got some of these kits available again. They'll be once they're sold out, he might make some more. He's just not sure when because he doesn't know when he has to go in for chemo, etc. But with that said, he's still working his butt off here trying to get the Dragon beta. Now, this is we've showed that on the uh, Cambridge Dragon fourth anniversary show and some of the other dragon specials we've done this was a uh, prototype a couple were made back in the day in 84 that dragon was planning on selling it. and it was a dual cpu high-res graphics mmu 760k of ram 
it was meant to be their high-end machine. And they've been reverse engineering the original boards and figuring out, you know, certain chips you can't get anymore. How can we make something to replace them type thing? So he's kind of giving an update here on what they've done. He's also given an update on Phil Harvey Smith has been doing some of the peripheral cards that go with it. And he's listed like four of them on here, a PS2 keyboard adapter, potentially a mouse, um, 760K memory replacement expansion, et cetera. And then he gave a little bit of an update in the comments here a little bit later. Um, recent improvements here, uh, replaced the 12 volt signal at the video output with a more suitable SCART switching output. So we'll be able to hook this up to a SCART to get a crystal clear display. Uh, and 10 mounting holes for additional stability. Uh, three no signals coming in from the expansion ports. Um, I like this one. We are currently working through a mysterious part of the circuit, which looks like being a simple one bit sound output. So it looks like there's some features on the Dragon that might not even, on the Dragon Beta that might not even be known. They don't have documentation on it type thing. So that's one thing he's still trying to concentrate on. Like basically his, his well hours where he's not too sick from chemo, et cetera. It sounds like he's actually working on the Dragon Beta because he does want to complete that. And he's kind of pushed everything else to the side so he can spend time recovering. Um, so I wish him the best. I think we all do. And uh, I'm hopefully that they can get the, the Dragon Beta basically duplicate because it's a really awesome machine from we've seen. There was even some graphic demos and stuff we've shown on the show before that they found from the original discs when they were prototyping it at Dragon Data. So really interested in that project. This, this is basically the Dragon equivalent of the Cocoa 3. In fact, it goes a bit beyond it. This is an interesting poll on the Dragon Group on Facebook, and this was put up by another one of our former guests on the show, Richard Harding. He's kind of the archivist and historian of the Dragon community. And his question uh, that he has on Facebook in the Dragon Group is, everyone has to start somewhere. So how did you come to your come, come to the Dragon Fold? How did you get a Dragon? How did you get become interested in Dragon? And uh, I know there's a few people on the panel that have Dragon, so I'll ask you that same question, but I'll just mention that on the poll they're taking here, which is mostly people in the UK, uh, the number one one is Christmas present 1982, which is when the original Dragon 32 came out. Uh, discovered post 80s retro collecting is uh, second place and has a real keyboard is third, <laughs> which back then that was when the Coco had a chiclet keyboard and the you know, Sinclair Spectrum had rubber keys and the ZX81 had the, uh, you know, the membrane Atari 400 style one. So that definitely was a big selling point. It was a beautiful keyboard. So for those of you in the panel that have dragons, whether it's a 32 or 64 or a Tano, what got you into getting a dragon? And I know, like, David, you have one. I think, Ron, you've got one. And anybody yep. else wants to fight then, so. I got um, mine from, go the, uh, from the company that sold them. California Digital. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, it was 50 bucks. And it came real quick. And uh, the reason I got it was because I think at the time, I might have been on CompuServe, and there was talk about the dragon. And I was interested because it was a 6809 machine, and I thought, well, oh, cool. I got software, so, you know, why not get it and see if it'll work? But then I realized it's going to be cassette-based because there's no the dr hard drive or the um, drive controller and, and floppies aren't going to work with it. So I was kind of disappointed about that, and it mostly sat for years until recently when I the SDC was able to work with it. And yeah, they didn't have, they didn't have their own drives, but they were done totally different than ours. That went out of yeah, so. so that's my story. Okay, David Ladd, you're next. All right. Well, for me, um, there were multiple reasons. Um, I got it because I wanted to be able to, with OS9 Level 1, 
I wanted to be able to work with you and have real hardware so we could try to get the uh, Coco VGA working better under that environment. Because if you don't have hardware, it's kind of hard to test it yourself. And I always had to then shift some of my stuff back to um, either Ron Klein or someone else that actually had the hardware. Um, the other thing I did did get was um, Pear, or I, 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 I don't know all how the names are done, but there's a guy that took and was reproducing the Dragon floppy controllers, but it had built into it the um, GoTech hardware. So the first drive was emulated. So you had the GoTech built right into the floppy controller and an external floppy controller port so you could plug another floppy drive into it. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know me, real floppy drives. Um, <laughs> and so I got that. And the other thing I wanted to mess around with was the real parallel and the Tano has the 6551 built into it like the Dragon 64. So therefore you have a real serial UART in it. And I wanted to do some stuff related to that, all on that, that machine. Um, but then, of course, some personal issues came up right after I got it, which, of course, then it's just been sitting stacked over there <laughs> so so you, but, you got it more from a development perspective then kind of. yes um it's it for me it's kind of hard to test something and emulators are nice for convenience but emulators do not always emulate hardware correctly so it's always best to have real hardware handy to test something yeah um, i think nick and i and rick and a bunch of others will agree with you on that and so from my standpoint, that's why I wanted it. I wanted to be able to actually test the stuff that we were working on. I really didn't like relying on someone else to test it and feed data back because not everybody thinks the same way. Not everybody writes comments the same way. And sometimes you just have to see the results for yourself of what's going on. So... um Nobody thinks the way you do. <laughs> Thanks, Mark B. Thanks. <laughs> Any anybody else in the panel have a dragon and uh... Yeah, I do. Okay, go ahead. And what was your channel. reason for getting it? Um Steve Batson was talking about it in the uh Facebook um uh, Coco group and talking about the trials and tribulations of dealing with California Digital. And uh, you just basically have to send off your money, basically you have to pay in advance and send a check or a money order. And uh, then just wait patiently and don't badger the guy because he is very persnickety about such stuff. But anyway, I figured uh, I got a bonus Christmas bonus in 2016. So I thought, you know, I should probably get one of those. And so I sent some money off and, uh, you know, they were new in box. Basically, the guy had a, a storage unit full of them. And I did ask him how many he had left. He said only about a dozen. So they're basically out about about 2017. Anyway, so you know, it's it's got the same basic um, uh, same basic processor as the Coco one or two. It's got the same SAM and all that, and 
basically it works the same way, except it does have a built-in uh, 1651, just like RS-232 pack. Uh, and, and a real a, parallel port. And, and a real, real keyboard port. Yeah, and a real keyboard. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, it would have been the killer system for developing Cocoa software on back in the day. Anyway, so I have one. It's cool. Cool. Anybody else in the panel have a dragon? I don't. Nope. Okay. So if you have dragons and you haven't already joined the Dragon Facebook group, you should. And if you have, but you haven't seen this poll yet, you should go and fill in you know, what, what your reason was for getting it because they're kind of amalgamating all these stories here. And you can add your own category at the end too if none of the 14 that are on here right now actually fit your particular circumstance. I always find this kind of stuff interesting. I've, I've, you know, the, some of the ones we just covered, like the top ones, but there's other stuff like didn't want a C64s, everyone else had them. Right. <laughs> um, 8% actually said uh, the Microsoft Basic or 6809 programming. So they got it for the programming side of things because we had one of the better basics at the time. Um, you know, there's others that you know, were mentioning, like the BBC Micro, they preferred that, but it was way too expensive, so they couldn't afford it, so they got a Dragon instead. So it's an interesting kind of seeing like what the situation was back like in the 80s. And my last story here, and I will play this mostly in its entirety. Um, apparently, there was a um, demo scene thing going on called Field FX 2022, and a Dragon one called the Green Machine actually won first place. This is a demo with some music that the dragon's generating and some semi-graphics or graphics uh, images being used. Uh, the semi-graphics stuff is animated in scrolls. These uh, other uh, P-Mode 3 style ones are just static, but it compressed them all to fit on a tape. It's a single load tape. Um, well, it's actually two loads. There's a, the semi-graphics one is one demo, and then you flip the tape and you get the other one. So it's got some music, and I'll kind of use that as an outro for the end of the news segment here. So I'll play that and... Uh, Congratulations to the author for actually writing a demo that uh, competed and actually won the competition. Substream is the author, the nickname of the author. Anyway, I don't know who that really is. And let me know if the volume's too loud or not. Or too quiet. Is this while the program's loading? I love these load screen things. Mm. Whoever's doing this talk is talking too much. Too fast to read. Yeah, just about. You might be dropping some frames with me streaming it too. It probably it's a bit easier on that. Well, there's that too. You'd be scrolling at two pixels at pixels at a time too. So this will be ported to the MP10, huh? <laughs> uh, 
I don't think you'd be able to do the sound as well. No, I don't think sound so. versus six. Graphic wise, yeah. And now part two. Mega floppy drive. Yeah. That sounds like he's added the music, overlaid it on the video. Well, my 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 understanding, and maybe I'm wrong, but my understanding is that because the dragon's actually generating the music there, and it didn't stop, and it, yeah. That'd be a pretty unimpressive demo if it's just doing an audio on. That's what I'm thinking. I know this sounds more like something like the Stuart Orchard uh, or Karen sound routine to me. I think it's that legit looks like sound. Saul Goodman. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I think this is where it starts repeating. I'm not going to get it. I'm pretty sure Simon could probably say that it, it is possible to load graphics and play sound at the same time from tape. Well, he has done that, but it doesn't, it's not to this fidelity, though. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Cause like, like I said, Dick Stewart on some of the stuff that he's done, he's actually got music that plays like this, like the header music on his uh, Uncompleted Game. I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top of my head, the Xevious style thing. Are you thinking this doesn't come from the tape? It's actually from the computer. I think so, but I, I'm not positive because I don't know too it, much about it. Could be, this could be a really nice, like the load screen thing that used to happen where you would bring things while the tape loaded. This could be a really extreme example of that, or it could be just totally fake. Actually, I just noticed there's a uh, thing here. I don't know if this will tell us, but let's go find out. Yeah, just find out. Well, you can download it, and I'm, I'm assuming that wouldn't have actual. So if you play it, it would make that really ugly noise, and then in between there would be music, right? It doesn't say anything else there. Right. Well, it says this uh. T.O. Box did the code graphics and music. I think it's generated by the Dragon. I don't think it's an audio on. I honestly don't. But I, I can't prove that. Maybe somebody wants to download the actual demo here from GitHub and actually try it out. Well, let me go see if I can find the show notes so that way I can get the URL so I can download it and check it out. Well, here, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll post it in the chat. Link to the actual disk image GitHub thing here. If people want to report back for next week, I'd, I'd be interested to hear. Like, I, It could be an audio on trick, like you know, some of the educational software Tandy put out back in the day. Well, oh, I've also it? heard the dragon do some decent, you know, synthesized style Sid music style things too. So I know it can do it. And and Stuart Archer did it on his uh I'm forgetting Return yeah. of the Beast. The intro well, music well, that just takes the time. So if it's when seen, he showed the when he showed the floppy loading image, I assume that was showing you when it was loading. 
the music did not stop, did not, there was no delay, no clicks at all in there. That, that indicates to me that the sound has been played separately. Is that uh, a, wave, a wave file we'd be downloading? Or I don't know. I'm not it? sure. But, yeah, we, we need to see some docs. Mm. So, David, do you want to take the ball on that one and kind of download that uh, That's link? That's what I'm trying to do. Where did you put the link? Uh, I put it in the uh, – well, I put it in the Twitch chat. Yeah. I guess you probably want it in the actual. Chat, yeah. Yeah, if, yeah, if you could put it in, in even in this chat so that way I could at least get to it. Because I'm not watching the show because I don't have the bandwidth to watch the stream and be on Zoom. What What happens if you click on the, the names down there where it says credits? Well, who does it go to? Credits. The green yeah. machine there. Yeah, that's just the guy. Talk about it. Says, it. Yeah. Green machine code graphics music. I just takes it back yeah, It doesn't, doesn't really say anything. Let's see if what's on his well, keyboard. It would just be code and graphics if it was all. Here we are. Here we are. Is this it? Right? Dragon intro WAV. There's a WAV file there. Well, that could be just the cassette loader, too. I don't know. Well, yeah, there was a there was kind of a history of load animations and things that would play while your game loaded or whatever. Could this be an extension of that where we are actually loading the music we're listening to? while we listen to it and therefore staying ahead of our memory limitations. And this could be interesting. What if you stop the, the tape player would the music continue? Right. Right. That kind of thing. That would be a test, right? One of the files is a dragon intro bin. D-G-N-T-R-O bit. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, if it's just playing audio in the background from the tape itself, that's much less impressive to me then. Because it's just right, displaying static right. images or scrolling with semi-graphics text, which is nothing. It would hardly be a demo. That would just be kind of... Well, wouldn't it be kind of ingenious to get the computer to stop and load and just have sound? And I mean, you have to... Well, no, I mean, all the educational it. games that Tandy did did this like 40 right, years right. ago. This, that's not impressive at all. The, the thing we never got was the... Sort of, you get an animation, little graphics, maybe some things. Oh, 660 saying, yeah, Nick, Nick's right. He said, yeah, the audio is in the WAV. I pulled from GitHub, building the binary and running it silent. So there you okay. go. I'm less impressed now. Poop, yeah. So forget most of what I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Already did. <laughs> oh, well. Well, what did you say? <laughs> well, I, th I thought he was doing it like Stuart Orchard did in Return of the Beast, where it's actually the dragon is generating the multi-voice musical nah. percussion and everything else, and that but, is impressive. Like I said, I thought the fidelity was too high to be also loading. You can do it. Simon's done it, but the fidelity, yeah, it does take a, a bit of a hit, and that was sounding fairly clean and didn't stop at all. So, so this I is why I asked Nick questions about sound and music generation because I just think you're on me apparently. So, <laughs> but, but didn't they make the um, music, even though it's recorded, sound like it come from the machine? Yeah, it, yeah, might have. Yeah, might have been done on the Coco, but separately, or it might have just been done on a SID chip in C64, and he just borrowed the music. Could be just on the video oh, that. Don't yeah, on that. No, but that's the thing. I mean, I, I'm a lot less impressed. Like, like 99% less impressed now than I was right, right. at first. 
So Stewart's is then back to being the number one uh, sound demo. Yeah, for the yeah I think so. Well, that sucks. That was going to be my big outro. It was going to be an awesome program with awesome sound generated by the dragon. That was going to be the close out of the news segment. And I'm so disappointed now. What else you got? That was it. That was the last. Yeah. <laughs> All we got now is the outro. Hey, huh? Thanks for shooting down the entire show on and me, Nick. And on a low note. Quick, David, lad, save us. Yeah, talk about the floppy some more. That was awesome. Look, <laughs> Sensity. Yeah, come on. I mean, to be honest, that the kind of thing where I used to take some of the Rainbow had those uh, graphic programs. I think Fred, I can't remember who wrote them, but basically they were taking like logos of rock bands and stuff. You remember there's a couple of those that were made. Yeah, yeah. Rainbow Rock Fest or whatever that was called. And I used to take those programs, modify them so the image would jump around a little bit, you know, switching pages or something. And then I'd have it do audio on, motor on and play like Van Halen behind the Van Halen logo. That's dead yeah. easy. That's not hard to do at all. That's that should not have won a demo competition. Unless the demos are in basic, well, then I might be a bit more impressed, but not not even by that much. Right. You know, I thought I saw where this was going, but I was totally wrong. Because they did have that whole, we can run this program while we're loading the program that we're really going, you know, the loading screens on a lot of the tape programs. I, I guess if he's actually you know, loading the graphics while yeah. keeping the audio in the background simultaneously, and, even with audio yeah. on. Well, if he was doing stuff like that, it would be cool. But no, it's just a draw a picture. So, and, so do you, you think know. they used left track, right track, one track data, one track music? I don't think the uh, that, Google can that, actually read the play wasn't, tracks. Yeah, yeah it was mono. Yeah, it's mono. So no. <laughs> <laughs> the Coco doesn't have a stereo input. It's uh, mono yeah, through the cassette port. Plus that. But you get, yeah. I hate to say it, David was right. You could use, I guess, a cartridge and have the audio one track come into the cartridge and then get blended in. Oh, and yeah, that's kind of what I was going for. All right. Yeah. Well, we did have some stereo recording hardware add-ons you could buy. Uh, yeah. I believe Triad's old one. Studio but that's Pro. not really, yeah, it's not really what the demo was showing. Yeah, because this is going to be played for everybody uh, and, and put it as a yeah. machine. Anyway. No. Sorry, folks. I, I was expecting a more a, a, a more impressive outro than that. Right, right. thought it was cool, but Mythbusters. I, I, I my tail between my legs right now. Let's put Busted. it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story: Don't invite Nick. <laughs> <laughs> actually, just not listening to Nick. I think would have covered that. But <laughs> it could actually be cool though if you had an MP3 player that you loaded up and then it just read a cassette and. The cassette stayed ahead of the MP3 file. That would be a really cool demo. Well, don't you give him any credit for having us flummoxed for a while? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if he's purposely trying to pull the shade over our eyes. Yeah, well, exactly. I have to give him credit there, I guess. At least yeah. for me. It didn't fool Nick for two, five seconds, though. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. That's why uh, we have Coco Talk. Our investigative crew made it. Live investigative reporting. <laughs> <laughs> Debunking the bunk. Right. Come on to Coco Talk where we will shoot you down. <laughs> because the only way I'd be more disappointed know. is if Mikey came on and said that the entire demo he's been doing on the Coco was all fake and done on an emulator. That's uh... except it actually works. Actually, I was gonna say something about no. <laughs> worse, it was Photoshop and Blender. Why did it say unknown computer at the top? 
Oh, I missed that. Did you notice that when he was no running? It said unknown computer. Oh, well, you're talking about Mikey's demo. Yeah. Yeah, because that was the generic level ah. one build, I think, with just the Coco VJ ads on. So oh, I don't know. There's a conspiracy there. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were talking about column alignment earlier. His demo is actually a good example of that. If your card's working good, everything goes in line all the way down the screen. Yeah. I just thought that was neat. Now, Merrick Siegel's saying you could encode data in the music, so it's actually loading those screens, you know, literally while it's playing the music. Well, that's what Simon did. Yeah. That's what Simon did, but you you don't get that fidelity of the music, though. You know, you do, it it chops up the the sound, the waveforms, uh, so it's not quite as clean as that. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, I'd say that's the end of the show there. Sorry for the downer. Yeah. Uh, Rocky Hill says, yeah. did Nick enjoy telling kids that Santa doesn't exist either? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that was great. You should have seen that. <laughs> you're not going to Oh, don't Easter forget the Easter bunny. bunny. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Please. Can we just end it quick? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Just... <laughs> play the outro. Let's let, let, let's derail this train Take us out now. of my misery, Mark. This concludes another episode of Cobra Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, MC10, and Dragon Systems. For all things Cocoa Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weaver, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever!
Do you um you put double WD forty in there? <laughs> in the grease weasel? Yeah. Right now, anyway. They gotta remember nobody heard that comment up because they were listening to the outro. So yeah. we're back now. All right, that's uh, the show for this week. Uh, download the new Paul Shoemaker game and uh, participate in the game on challenge. It's a really cool, fun game. 32K Coco, one, two, or three. We're hoping to get a dragon version out. And by we, I mean Paul and Paris Rat. Um, we can get that out you know, fairly soon as well. So, And joining on the live game playing stream on Thursday evening. Hosted by uh, Sloopy and Ken. Ken's still on the call. I can't see yeah. yeah, I'm right here. Okay. Yeah, and I already posted a score too. <laughs> yes, I saw that. Your your score's already been beaten. Yeah, well, I what, know, but I was the first one to post them. <laughs> what, what time is that on, Ken? Because I, I heard you and Sloopy talking in the pre-show about some time change or something. Uh, or something I else? don't know what uh, Sloopy's planning. <laughs> Normally, we start at. Oh God, I don't even know what time it is here. Uh, um, six o'clock central. So. Yeah. Sure. Seven Eastern. So Sounds is that right. changing then? Is that what's happening? I'm not sure what Sloopy was uh, alluding to there. He wanted to talk about making it Friday nights, but uh, that doesn't work very well because we'd have the game on challenge closed before we'd be doing the live stream. So, yeah. So, Ken, do you have to leave there and go shoot yourself some dinner? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I got to pull out the fishing rod and catch it. Oh. Even got a new kayak to go hunt the fish down with. So, yep. You turn off the generator after you're done here at the show. (laughs) No, that's the sun. Oh, (laughs) we're far enough north here. It doesn't get dark till like 10 at night. I can't do, I can't do uh, at night. I might not have any power. (laughs) Or after dark, Coco, Coco after dark. It'll be in the dark. (laughs) The place where your ants just passed that bridge. <laughs> no, it's quite a ways away from that. I'm, I'm that, in, that's uh, Coco Dark after civilization, is what yeah. that was. <laughs> I'm just in the middle of nowhere in northwestern Ontario right now. Yeah, we should start off our next Coco show with um, the beginning of 2001 A Space Odyssey, where they are clicking the bones, you know. Okay. Bye, everybody. Yeah, we'll right. see you all Bye, next week. Everybody. Bye, see everybody. See you next week. Thanks for sticking around.